0: VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly.
1: Well, all right. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off today. And of course, we're talking about uh, a lot of things here on VOCM Open Line. And as you know, over the last uh, week, close to a week, uh, we've been um, primarily focused, we and the rest of the world have been primarily focused on. Uh, the story unfolding off our shores, and as I said to uh, VOCM's uh, Brian, uh, sorry uh, Ben Murphy, this morning, you know, this is a, a story that Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are all too familiar with. Loss, uh, on or in the ocean, um, so we feel the pain of the families uh, who are grieving the loss of their loved ones. Um, by all accounts, some pretty extraordinary individuals. Um, In the loss of the Titan uh, submersible, Um, the official confirmation came down yesterday after the Horizon Arctic went out to the offshore with a U.S. ROV on board, dropped it over the side. It made its way to the ocean floor and it started picking up. Um, these images, uh, some recognizable images of debris from the Titan that they were able to definitively say this is it. Uh, One of them being the tail cone, of course, that iconic kind of triangular tail cone with ocean gate on the uh, side. So uh, they found that, then they found other pieces to confirm that uh, there had been Uh, A catastrophic implosion. The debris field apparently large enough to indicate that it had something had happened somewhere in the water column, as they put it, uh, and that the debris then um, fell in this kind of area. Um, A lot of people asking questions about recovery of the pieces, uh, recovery possibly of uh, bodies, but uh, pressure at that level uh, and in the um, Occasion of a of a ca- catastrophic implosion of uh, pressures at that kind of level uh, don't leave a lot of hope that um, um, body recovery could be uh, even possible. So, uh, but whether or not some of these pieces might be raised to the surface to try to determine exactly what happened and why. Um, those conversations are being had now Um, of course that would be of uh, great expense uh, to anybody who uh, seeks to endeavor to do that Uh, but there are uh, swirling questions around this uh, that uh, need to be answered over time and uh, we'll be watching that unfolding story as well. Um, As I mentioned to Ben Murphy this morning um, spare a thought not only for the families of uh, those who are lost but uh, for those on board the Polar Prince who had been working closely with these men um, for this um, expedition and, you know, got to know them, uh, are feeling this loss perhaps more profoundly than anyone else other than the families uh, and are have been on that boat and working hard and doing what they can first as uh, support and logistics for this expedition and now um, suddenly into a uh, uh, the search and possible re- recovery. So uh, spare a thought for the people on board the Polar Prince. A lot of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, of course, on board that uh, ship. Uh, we're, we understand that she is going to be heading back, or if she's not already heading back, to St. John's Harbour, expected to arrive sometime over the weekend, uh, sometime tomorrow or early tomorrow morning. Uh, So uh, we're watching that very closely as well. And um, if they're listening, we're we're thinking about you. We really are. And you've done an extraordinary job in uh, some pretty trying circumstances. So that message uh, needs to be uh, shared uh, right across the province. Um, the Miapakek uh, First Nation, of course, feeling this very profoundly as well. They're the owners of uh, Horizon Maritime and Miapakek, Um uh, Maritime, who have been uh, part of this whole logistics and, uh, and support team um, with the Polar Prince and the Horizon Arctic. Uh, so uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to you as well, because you got to know a lot of these people. You were working very closely. Uh, in this endeavor and and had been doing so for some time. I I was talking to some officials with um, uh, Myapakek Horizon last year, if you may recall, on on Target, and we talked about some of the uh, scientific work they had been doing at that time. Uh, going down to the, uh, the floor of the Atlantic Ocean to see the Titanic uh, wreck site and to conduct some uh, experiments there. There were some DNA experiments that were carried out there as well uh, by a local professor. So um, uh, they've been working you know, with these teams for a long time, um, three years now if uh, memory serves. Uh, so it's it's a difficult uh, time for certain, but um, that level of um, anxiety that I think we were all collectively feeling has has passed now, and uh, it, it's giving way to grief, and that's an important process uh, for us to keep in mind as we all continue to process this thing. I, I you know, uh, even for people who are far removed from anything that has been happening over the last few days. I think it's fair to say almost everybody has been feeling it. And I've been talking to a lot of people who, you know, wouldn't normally um, be engaged in following this type of a story, who were feeling it very profoundly. And I know myself, and I can speak for myself, uh, you know, I, I was thinking, I've, I've been thinking about it day and night. I can't stop thinking about this particular tragedy and we've seen so many and so many touch us in different ways. But there was something about this particular story, how unique it was and how all of us can somehow relate to that level of anxiety and horror um, about, you know as we contemplated the various scenarios anyway. If you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call, even if it's to offer a little bit of support to the people involved. Um, it's, it's dominated a lot of discussion, and I'm not sure if uh, I have any thoughts on uh, anything else that's been happening lately, but I certainly would welcome uh, people to give us a call, anything that's on your mind. We talked about a, quite a few uh, subjects yesterday um a variety of subjects as a matter of fact uh from poverty uh to health uh, and all things in between so if you have any thoughts whatsoever you're certainly welcome to give us a call and a warning this being friday of course your last opportunity to call the show yesterday i found with the show it was a little bit of a slow start by 11 o'clock the lines were blocked and we had to drop people from the lines and and uh, put them off uh, to another time so uh, the earlier you call the better uh we're gonna uh, actually what we're gonna do now is we're gonna go straight to the lines and we're gonna go to uh, Merv Wiseman you're on the air hi Merv
2: hey good morning Linda how are you this morning
1: well all right how are you uh
2: p- pretty good F- pretty good I think we're all living now in the in the aftermath of the, the titan incident and i i think you expressed very well the uh i think the level of condolences that needs to be extended by everybody concerned it's certainly been a major preoccupation minute by minute of myself since. well you, i mean this was
1: your life for ever so long you were with the coast guard
2: yeah absolutely the search and rescue component of it and uh and and you know many of the peripherals around it. Uh, obviously, I don't have any levels of expertise sub C, but it's certainly been a, a big a point of interest for me for a long time. And uh, I think you know this uh, search in and of itself is something to be looked at, and really sets the uh, bar pretty high for any level of search that might uh, evolve uh, over incidents like this and perhaps not entirely like this you know because it's already been used as a point of reference by a number of people who've said and i, I don't want this to come around come across the wrong way that uh, my family didn't get this kind of attention um when uh, and and had these many resources uh, thrown at it and i had to fight for the resources that i wanted to search for my family when when you know they were lost on their small fishing vessel, and uh, you know, I'm not sure if they're right or wrong. I don't want to bring this down to the lowest common denominator. I would like to look at this and say, look, if there is a a search and rescue incident that's happening, we would want the best and and the biggest and as many resources as we could throw at it and not go down to the level where we don't get the kind of resources we needed. We have to remember on this one as well that uh, I mean, there was a lot of uh, intricacies here. The international component was a big one, of course, but this uh, this was really uh, a search led by the United States. You know, uh, this was in their area, search and rescue area of, of jurisdiction. They were the search mission coordinator, as we call them, the SMC, and so it was Canada's obligation to uh, to help them. These uh, obligations come about because of bilateral and multilateral agreements and convention. And, uh, you know, the International Maritime Organization, of course, is right into the thick of all this. So all these things are, are worked out. So, you know, it, it was Canada's obligation to do everything they could possibly do here, and they certainly did. They pulled out all the stops. Uh, there was this, This, uh, in my mind, I recall a lot of uh, fairly large incidents, and it's most to do with um, what we would call... Uh, a major marine disaster, not a lot of people involved, but for five uh, people and the kind of incident that was involved, uh, it was extraordinary. I would hazard the guess that this, this search probably cost somewhere in the order of 15 to $20 million, maybe even more, and most of that will be paid for by public funds. Uh, that's what the Canadian Armed Forces would do. That's what the U.S. would do or any other nation for that matter. So it, it, it's a biggie, and and, and it's one that's, good, I think, set a lot of a lot of precedent, as well as open the, the vault to an awful lot of questions that remains unanswered.
1: Yeah, and I I get your point on, um, you know, how people who have suffered tragedies in their lives uh, uh, might be looking at this and saying, okay, well, this is great, but uh, where were they when, you know, my loved ones were in -hmm. peril um, or lost? And, um, uh, you know, I I, I do get that. I, you know, I understand that from an emotional level. Um, I don't know if comparing things is... Uh, the right way to approach things if you know what i mean but i completely yes, I understand i, I, I completely I understand do. yeah
2: yeah for sure look and, and I, I think um, the the issues of recovery uh becomes a big one as well when the, you know the, i i you know, for, for a long time i've said we are just so we have so many shortcomings um when when it comes to recovery because if we don't recover uh, people involved. We have compassionate issues around that, but you know the, the the craft that that was lost and so on. Whether it was a fishing vessel or 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 this kind of a situation, then what do you? How do you learn how to prevent it in the future? And I, I just thought that we have put so very little into trying to do the recovery of uh, of vessels once the search portion is over. The search for life. Uh, this recovery piece, uh, I know in the avi- aviation industry, uh Noel's bird, They do everything they possibly can and go to any any lengths and any depths to uh, to recover aircraft, commercial aircraft or or even pleasure uh, aircraft. But uh, it doesn't seem to apply to the to the small vessel industry, especially the fishing vessel industry. That's one thing for sure. So I, I think if anything, and and I think this is where. Newfoundland and Labrador through Memorial University, and and through private interests, uh, people like Kraken Marine, uh, Kraken Marine, I should say, um, you know, have, have developed significant underwater technology. And I think you know this really should open people's eyes about how we move that needle a little bit more. I know Kraken has got international uh, contracts. You know, with, with uh, I think the Polish Navy is one where they're doing. Mine recovery uh, from the sea bottom and things like that. So yeah, I I think the development, the need to have that because let's face it, there was an awful scramble here from all over the world, as far away as Europe, to try to get the the right kind of vehicles here to participate in this uh, uh, search and to do some recovery if if it if it was needed, you know. So that was kind of like flying by the seat of your pants. I mean. I was actually very surprised of the very uh, small portion of planning and contingency arrangement that was uh, had, you know, b- b- by this company to be, to be taking people to, to that depth, uh, not knowing that if anything happened, you know, w- where are you are going to step next? That was uh, highly unusual.
1: And uh, also, it, it was surprising for me to hear when the U.S. Coast Guard right off the top, and I... I, I, I I think I understand it, but uh, right off the top said, you know, we do not have uh, the resources or the wherewithal to deal with this kind of a thing. So that's when they called in this, what they call the unified command and brought in expertise from around the world, because it was such an extraordinary circumstance. I think there is an argument to be had, though, um, when this is, uh, you know, uh, such a rare uh, type of um, scenario, when we're talking about a, a submersible at the bottom of the ocean, as opposed to Uh, people who risk their lives every single day to make a living here in Newfoundland and Labrador and I think there are conversations to be had about uh, resources and having the right resources in the right places to conduct um, you know searches in in timely manners I think that's an absolutely valid uh, argument to be had.
2: Yeah uh, you know no question and 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 uh, you know I think we have to the, you know notwithstanding where you might sit with regard to the people that engaged in this kind of activity was it necessary was it not and so on you know philosophically uh, i think there will be a lot of uh discussion and probably rationalization of, of what you do in situations like this but uh above all of that there, there's probably a bigger picture where we we learn from it uh you know we so very often have um Aircraft uh, crashes at sea. Well, you know, we also in the marine world, our own vessels, if you will, uh, you know, finds its way to the bottom and the results are not great. Uh, but, uh, you know, we very often, mid Atlantic, uh, have seen aircraft that have disappeared and have had to be recovered. I think the, the uh, Air France flight uh, 449, I believe it was from Rio de Janeiro to. Paris, a uh, similar situation, and fact that they found the debris from that aircraft in water at twice the depth as the Titanic. Can you imagine? And so what do you do in situations like that? 230 people lost in this kind of a situation. So if you can learn from that experience in terms of how to search, you know, and how to conduct a, a recovery, that lends itself to something very valuable that we, you know, could use. And there's no question the initial search on this one, and going back to the uh, the perspective of the, the U.S. Uh, Coast Guard, who was the SMC on this one, no, I think uh, they admitted they didn't have the resources clearly and had to scramble and find the kinds of resources that would be needed to do any subsea kinds of uh, rescue or search uh, at the time. But I think their first preoccupation was from a surface standpoint and to do that initial search. And in fact, the Canadian Coast Guard, an involvement of the Canadian Coast Guard, I think in large part, uh, felt that, hey, look, this this may be on the surface. And so we have to cover off all these bases because, uh, uh, you know, an object of that size could uh, disappear from visibility fairly quickly with the winds and the currents in that area.
1: Uh, Merv, I I appreciate your call this morning. Uh, Thanks very much.
2: Okay. Thank you very much, Lynn. I appreciate your time. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. And uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. And we're back. We're going to go now to David. You're on the air. Hi, David.
3: Hi, hi, Linda. How are you? Oh, good. How are you? Fine. Thank you. Uh, I. Uh, I'm sorry about them people got lost. I uh, really, uh, really bad. And uh, I used to do uh, work, security work on uh, Polar Prince, few years ago.
1: Is that right?
3: Yes, and the vine uh, the punch people, I'll tell you that.
1: Oh, anyone who, uh, who works on the ocean, I have a great deal of respect for, I can guarantee it. So, you, you know a, a lot of these people then?
3: I know a lot of them people on the Polar Prince, yeah, because I worked on it there at security. And like I said, they were vine punch people.
1: So, they would oh. have worked very closely, of course, with this particular crew. Um, what do you imagine they must be feeling right now?
3: Oh, you must be feeling really, really terrified. And I was just saying, right but what happened.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so what caused you to uh, work with the Polar Prince? How did you get involved with that?
3: Uh, I got involved with it because uh, something, i forget now because it was very long ago, right? But uh, I was asked to do security on the Polar Prince and I went and did it for a couple of months. And- worked out really good.
1: Oh, very good. Well, I'm glad to hear that uh, David, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people uh, share their thoughts on uh, um, for the the crew of the Polar Prince in particular as they head back to St. John's.
3: very yeah. So when do you expect to them tomorrow morning or?
1: But we don't know what the exact ETA is sometime tomorrow. Uh, it keeps changing, of course, because it's hard to track these things, but uh, we'll be watching it very closely. you can uh, guarantee that.
3: Okay, you have a nice day. i to try to get down and see the boys.
1: Very good, David. Thank you.
3: You're welcome. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.
1: We're going to go now to uh, Denise and Bay Roberts. Hello, Denise. Hi, Linda. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Excellent for a Friday morning. Good to uh- hear. So the topic
4: I want to touch on is the issue that we're having with the uh, town water. Um, and apparently it's been ongoing for quite a number of years. I only just recently moved home here from Ontario about four years ago. And um, upon purchasing an ho- a house in uh, Bay Roberts, uh, we noted that occasionally we were getting a con- dirty, contaminated water coming into the lines from um, our cold water taps which uh, we were originally uh, advised by some of our neighbors that it was probably flushing up the lines, but it was happening so frequently that last year I bought it to the attention of the town council, and they took a sample of the water, and um, they also bought it to the attention of public works, um, Sean Elms. So Um, To date, there's been nothing done. Uh, All they keep doing is testing the water, flushing the lines, but they're not getting to the solution of finding out if there's a damaged water main or um, trying to fix the problem that we're having. Um, I sent pictures to... Um, your producer.
1: Yeah, I got him here. Actually, yeah. I sent them to him. Yeah,
4: they're horrific. Um, yeah,
1: it really—it looks like tea in your bathtub.
4: Oh, it's 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 even worse than that. I mean, even the smell um, that comes from it. Uh, one of the pictures uh, reflects a uh, we had to flush our, we have our water tank flushed by a plumber because the town of Bay Roberts and Public Works uh, stated that it was exclusive to our home. Well, when we investigated with the other neighbors, uh, we discovered that it's multiple homes on that street, on Barracks Lane.
1: So they're all encountering exactly the same thing or similar things?
4: Exactly the same. Same thing is happening to the other homes, uh, the the neighbors have told us. And uh, a lot of them have been complaining for up to 10 years. So we're living with contaminated water, and you would think that uh, as a society, and uh, uh, in this day and age, that we would be entitled to clean drinking water. This is not a third world country, and it's it's definitely got to be a problem that's easily
1: solved. So um, you are on the town water and sewer. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they've, there's been no um, explanation as to what this might be or what the well, problem could they- be.
4: All they keep doing, uh, public works comes and flushes the lines whenever somebody complains. So that is pacifying, band-aiding, band-aiding the situation. So it just keeps us quiet for a little bit. But they come out, and they've had numerous people come out and just scratch their heads and walk away. I never get any callbacks. There's been no resolution to this, and we just keep getting dirty water. Um, all of our uh, toilet flush tanks uh, everything is stained with this this dirty water and the council
1: and public works don't seem to want to do anything about it what's the result of the testing has it shown anything in particular we haven't had we haven't had
4: any water tested per se because I, i personally don't know where i can send this water we've collected numerous samples um, the um, the council member did come and take a bottle of the water away I don't know what he did with it um, But like I said, um, as of recently um, Yesterday, I sent the council member another request for an update Because nobody is getting back to us Nobody is wanting to do anything to solve the situation I mean, we pay a lot of money in taxes And here we are, numerous people on this street having to contend with contaminated water.
1: I stand to be corrected on this, but I believe the Department of Municipal Affairs can do some testing. Usually it's on uh, well water. Uh, I don't know where you're in a municipality and you're on the municipal water and sewer line. If they would conduct similar type of testing for you, or, yeah. if the town would you know pursue that, it might be something to check with the either your m h a um Pam Parsons or well, with uh the Department of Municipal Affairs.
4: Well, I've already reached out to Pam uh about a month and a half ago, and I sent her photos and same thing um no results, nothing is coming back like nobody is getting back to me. Um, I mean, can you imagine yourself after our day work coming home and going to get a shower and this is the water that you got a shower?
1: So you don't know if this is coming from the the town line or if it's the portion of the line that belongs to your property, if you know what I'm saying? Well, we've
4: already had that checked into, Mm -hmm. and our plumber did verify that it is not anything to do with our water, our lines. This is coming directly from the town's main water line, Um, and... It's our summation that it is possibly a break in the line somewhere, and residue is building up over time. And when they flush, it clears the line, but it still builds up. That is what we're guessing at. But if we don't have anybody that is capable of going and checking these lines and trying to see if that's the issue, we're still stuck. I don't want to be 10 years down the road still having to contend with the council or the public works having to flush a line.
1: Well, keep us up to date, will you? We'll see if we can't get the uh, the mayor of Bay Roberts to um, to tell us what's going on there.
4: Absolutely, and and as like I said, it it is uh, cold water that's coming from the town water line system.
1: Um, uh, um, Dave Williams, who is our producer, uh, just yeah. whispered in my ear that the uh, Miller Center does. Uh, uh, water testing. So you might be able to bring some Perfect. Uh, samples up there and have it tested.
4: Yes, I definitely uh, I will be doing that to find out exactly what this contamination is. But like I said, there's e- even elderly people that live on our street that they're looking at possibly moving to a, a senior's home because they can't contend with this dirty water all the time and having to clean their toilets and, and the showers constantly.
1: So Denise, what are you doing for Water Source now? Bottle water mainly. That gets expensive?
4: Yes, it does. Oh, please tell me. Yeah, it does. And I would love to be able to uh, drink from uh, clean uh, water, but uh, or, or have a clean water source. But at this juncture, we don't have a solution. And like I said, it's been a long time, according to the other people that have lived there longer than we have. And our complaints are not being heard.
1: Denise, uh, keep listening. Our next caller uh, might be able to offer you some advice. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So stay tuned to the radio. I'm going to him next. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah. And I understand that Thomas has something to add to that. Hello, Thomas.
5: Uh, hi, Linda. How
0: are you doing? Good. Uh, yeah. Thomas Doyle, Carleen. Um I work on a, a fishing vessel, an offshore dragger, and what we do monthly is uh, we get the the Eastern Health... We get the battles from Eastern Health. I believe it's from the Miller Centre. And we just... So there's a timeline then once you fill the battle to the certain line, and you fill out the information you have to get it back to the miller center i think it's within 12 hours okay of of the of the testing or the bottle will be no good because there's like small particles of something in the bottle that mixes with the water oh i hear you yeah uh, you just yeah and you just get it back to the miller center within the 12 hours and it's free of charge and they'll test the water and get back to you with any results that they get from it if there's anything wrong we right. Use every month, twelve months of the year.
1: So, do they test for all kinds of elements, or is it just for like things like E. coli or whatever?
0: Well, with us, we only—I think—we only get tested for E. coli and stuff because where we have, as uh, like sitting tanks, our water's pumped from a uh, whatever port we're in, and then it's just sitting in the tanks for the thirty-five days we're at sea, right? So, I'm thinking we just do E. coli. I'm not hundred percent sure. I don't. I don't personally deal with the results of stuff, right? I just know that if something comes back, we will get notified on the vessel that, okay, you need to get your tanks flushed because something is showing up.
1: I gotcha, uh, yeah.
0: I do know they will test the water. I do say, It does say well water on it, but, I mean, we're not using well water. We're just pumping from whatever community or whatever town we land in, right?
1: Right, yeah, so you're getting it from municipal sources, yeah.
0: Yes, correct, like Argentia, Harbour Grace, St. John's. Um, Mulgrave, Nova Scotia, like any of those places we land, we get uh, we get it from the town water, and then they'll do a they'll do a test first when once we land that uh, once the up right.
1: Yeah, and it makes perfect sense because, like you say, the water is sitting there, and uh, you know it can whatever might be in the water would mul- multiply.
0: Yeah, I know, and I mean I hear that lady on, and I mean for her to be saying that there's been people on that street up to ten years complaining. I mean that's. That's, that's not right for the town of Bear Roberts being as, as big a town as what they are to be to be neglecting someone, someone's drinking water. I mean, you know, you're paying for that service too nowadays. I mean, it should be something that, that they're going to try to, to clear up, find a line that's broke or figure out something. I mean, come with a solu- solution somehow, Right.
1: Thomas, I, I really appreciate your input today, and hopefully uh, she finds some uh, some kind of solution soon. We're going to try and get the town of Bay Roberts too to explain what might be uh, happening in the barracks lane area there.
0: Sure, Linda, not a problem. I just want to say one more thing. I'd like to send my condolences out to anyone that was involved closely or related to any of those those five people that died on the submarine. It's a, it's a, it's an unfortunate event. I, I'm, uh, you know I mean nobody ever thought it would happen it's a risk in everything we do there's always a risk but I mean it's unfortunate and I hope that uh, I hope that everyone was uh, you know was doing okay
1: Thomas thank you
0: You're very welcome Linda.
6: have a good day
1: All right you too bye bye Uh Thomas Doyle there with some um um advice, I guess, to Denise about uh, getting some water tested there that she's having problems with on Barracks Lane in Bay Roberts. When we come back, we're going to uh, hear something from the Eating Disorder Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, You're listening to VOCM Open Line.
7: Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking.
1: And we're back. We're going to go now to uh, Madonna. You're on the air. Hi, Madonna.
8: Hi, how are you, Linda? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I just had a couple of questions that I kind of wanted to ask about the, uh, you know, all this going on about the Titan and stuff. Maybe you may be able to answer that. Just as idle curiosity. um, One question is, if they were out an hour and 45 minutes from the mothership, I'll call it, uh, would they have reached the Titanic site? Like, would they have been down there by then? Like, I, I don't know. Um not a marine person. I just wonder would they have had time to get down to the site?
1: Um, My first question. From what it sounds like, uh, that uh, one hour and 45 minutes would have been about two-thirds of the way to the bottom of the ocean. Um, oh,
9: okay.
1: Uh, they would have been close but not that close if you know what I mean um that's what okay. it sounds like and it and it sounds like now uh that this um this event might have occurred uh on their descent uh, so they okay. may not have reached the the wreck the site
8: by no, the time it bad. had that's, happened that's that's really bad you know we would have hoped that they would have gotten to see what they went to see before this tragedy happened but anyway that's just how it is i guess the other thing is like did the mothership did the main ship remain in that area like when when the titan went down were they still staying up on on the water waiting for them that they was my there, understanding
1: it? that was my understanding and there was a um they they awaited get, because they lost contact with the the uh, Titan at that time on Sunday morning and my understanding is that because they were aware that this uh, submersible had these different ways of getting back to the surface in case of an emergency so my understanding is they waited and searched that that area looking for the submersible to come up
8: yeah because they would have had to bring it back to shore anyway I guess
1: yeah and they're, and they, yeah. they're, they're just coming back from from the area now so yeah. they've been they've been on site ever since, and they've been actively participating yeah. in the search.
8: Very good. And I was wondering, like, when when they would have, um, would wouldn't they have been in constant contact? Like you would think that they would have been in constant contact with each other, like by a conversation, like giving a blow by blow count of. Like it, it almost seems like that would be what you would do. Well, you know where we're down so many feet now and we don't see anything or, you know, like you think there would have been an ongoing conversation, like a blow-by-blow count of what they were doing. I was just wondering why that didn't take place. We, it didn't sound like it.
1: That's a good question and I don't know what the answer is to that but I'm sure it's part of the larger conversation being had now. I know that it was communicating with the polar prince through pings you know and you can hear it in your in your head now that sound you know if you've seen movies or, or television shows that, that very distinctive ping. Um, so apparently that's how it was letting the polar prince know that everything was okay. It was uh, you know sounding the regular pings um but as far as actual you know verbal communication or or otherwise through uh you know messaging or whatever the case may be i'm not sure what the capability was on that particular submersible so that's a that's a question that uh, needs i i would imagine needs to be asked well thank you very
8: much i just it's just out of curiosity on my part a couple of things are just kind of bugger me it's in my mind like you know what 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 happened? You know, like everybody else, I
1: guess.
8: <laughs> Thank and you for sure.
1: Your time. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks, Madonna. You're welcome. Bye. All right. Bye bye. We're going to go now to Paul Toomey, Executive Director of the Eating Disorder Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Hello, Paul.
10: Good morning, Linda. How are you this morning?
1: I'm all right. How are you?
10: Uh, not too bad. Before I get into my main topic this morning, uh, like many Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. I've been following the uh, the tragedy of the uh, of the Titan submersible, and uh, I'd certainly like to uh, pass along my condolences to everybody involved with this, uh, the families of the people who whose lives were lost. And as you said in your preamble this morning, tragedy at sea is not something that uh, we're unfamiliar with, and uh, it's something that we will continue to probably face in, in the years to come. But but this one has that certain. Uh, different different note with the international uh, recognition or notoriety that that we're getting as a result of
1: it uh, for sure. And I know there's, an, <laughs> there's uh, people in St. John's now who are down at uh, Harborside Park having a look-see at uh, Anderson Cooper and other yeah. international media down there covering this story. And watching, just watching that aspect of things is, is fascinating in and of itself to see how, you know, these uh, really large news organizations uh, are coordinated and, and cover uh, big events. It's, uh, that, that side of things, from my perspective, is also fascinating.
10: Yes, I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, we watch a lot of news in the evenings around supper time, and uh, even uh, Entertainment Weekly or Entertainment Tonight uh, had coverage of it. So it's been certainly something that's been uh, captivating the Western world, if you will. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, on to uh, to my uh, uh, two quick topics this morning. Uh, our drive-in bingo is back. Contrary to everything I said earlier this year while talking to Patty, uh, I guess due to popular demand, we're bringing our bingo back, but it's uh, it's going to be a monthly bingo as opposed to, to a weekly. So the first bingo will be next Wednesday night, June 28th, and it'll be followed up with uh, another bingo in uh, the last Wednesday in July and the last Wednesday in August uh... we've um we've put together a, a number of great prizes there'll be a thousand dollar giveaway jackpot and of course other games of prizes of a hundred uh... a hundred and fifty up to two hundred dollars and there'll be twelve games in total so uh... next wednesday night jackburn regional uh... our gates will open at six o'clock and bingo will start at seven and so uh... We're excited to come back for the many people who have reached out to us and said, listen, we enjoyed going to your drive-in bingo. Uh, We're going to try to do something to accommodate.
1: Well, that's good to hear. And I know that uh, for those who uh, head down there, that's a a great bit of fun. Of course, everybody loves a game of bingo. Um, So describe how a a drive-in bingo works.
10: Okay. So basically you come into the lot, you park, uh you'll get out of your vehicle come into the arena and we have a table set up so you can purchase uh, the cards that you want uh lots of bingo jargon here you can buy 12 ups or 6 ups and you can buy the additional cards for the uh, for the special bingos you go back to your vehicle uh we ask you to turn your radio to an FM channel uh, 102.9 uh, when the caller starts, he will call bingo in the, re- in the regular way, similar to the radio bingo that, uh, that you guys have. And, um, once, uh, somebody gets bingo, they blow their horn. Uh, our spotters out in the parking lot will, uh, let the caller know, um, they'll go grab the card, check the numbers. If it's a good bingo, they move on to another one. So it's, uh, it's a pretty easy process. We are going to have a food truck on site, um, trying to remember the name of the food truck now, as good as it gets. It's the name of the food truck that will be on site for the evening. We'll have the usual attractions, and Nevada tickets, uh, uh, goods and services sweep, etc. Uh, I can say we are still looking for a few more volunteers to help us out. And we're very pleased that uh, we have some sponsorships that we're offering. So, if people would like to come on board, and I can say, and I know it's a free plug, but Canadian Tire in the St. John's area, come on board as our presenting sponsor. So, we're delighted to have them. So, that's a great start. And as always, VOC, your VOCM is one of our one of our game sponsors as well. So, uh, we're we're delighted to be back and uh hopefully we'll get some good crowds for the three nights and then maybe we can do it again in 2024.
1: A good uh, fundraiser for you? Um
10: uh, the first two years that we did it Linda it was a great fundraiser. Uh we did ex- extremely well with it. Um well, I guess the first year 2021 we were probably the uh, the only game in town if you are 2020 we were the only game in town. And uh, we, we did extremely well. But it's, it's more than just the money we make. It, it has to do with the awareness that we're creating. We have a lot of people sitting in cars. They're hearing a little bit about the foundation and the work that we do because we take the time to do that. So, so it provides uh, two, two great, uh, great opportunities for us, a chance to make some money, but a chance to let a lot of people know about eating disorders and what we do and how to reach us.
1: So for those uh, who uh, are um Uh, I guess, repeat uh, customers and uh, for those who are interested to try it out for the first time, the Eating Disorder Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador, bringing back its drive-in bingo every um, Wednesday monthly, sorry, sorry, it's once a month on a Wednesday, uh, starting uh, next Wednesday, the 28th of June, followed by uh, the last Wednesday in July and the last Wednesday in August at the Jack Byrne Arena in Torbay. Yep.
10: Thank you very much, Linda. And the other thing, I'll just remind people: you can go to our website edfnl.ca for anything you need from us. And that includes if you're looking for support, if you need some counseling skills to help you get into the system, if you or you or a loved one is dealing with. Symptoms of an Eating Disorder, we're here to help, and that's the role we play in providing support to, to families. Uh, we have a second fundraiser. Just remind people, our second 50-50 sweep uh, is now underway. The draw date's not the August the 15th, but if you want to call our office, we can arrange to get get you tickets. Uh, and I will tell people that the winner of the first uh, 50-50 sweep back on May the 15th Uh, took home over $1,900.
1: Oh, that's a nice little uh, payload there.
10: (laughs) It was indeed. So hopefully we can duplicate that again this time. Um, Other than that, Linda, uh, one of these days I'm going to come on and have a chat with you and Patty about social media and the impacts that it's having on eating disorders. Oh, for
1: sure. That is a significant topic.
10: Yeah, maybe you and I can have a chat about it on your uh, afternoon program.
1: Well, I, uh, I invite you to do so. I'm on vacation as of today uh, for two weeks, but any time after that, I would uh, certainly welcome to do so.
10: Okay, thanks, Linda. Appreciate right. your time this morning. Thank
1: you. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, when we come back, we're going to speak with uh, Cease, uh, who's waiting on the line. This is VOCM Open Line. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off today. We're going now to Cease on the air. Hi, Cease.
5: Hi, how are you, Daylene?
1: I'm good. How are you?
5: Good. I'm uh, very upset about the way they're handling the oil industry in Newfoundland. Uh, we've got the cleanest oil in the world, and the world is, is crying out for oil, and they're doing everyth- everything they can to, to uh, uh, delay it and put obstacles in its way. For example, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which they're building, uh, that's delayed, delayed a lot. I know an engineer that worked on the project. He's back here in Newfoundland. He was laid off, and there's going to be a good many more laid off because they they do not want oil production. They they say they do, but they really don't, and they're doing everything they can to come up with new programs to subsidize other sources of energy, and I think – the federal Liberals, NDP federally, which if, if there is a party, I don't know because it joined Liberals, and the NDP locally, uh, Jim Den and all the rest and Fury—they're all against oil. They're anti-oil, and they're doing everything, everything they can to to stop it, and 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 put delays. up. McBean like and Nord. That should be on stream. Uh, they should be working to find out what the problem is there, why it's delayed. But instead, they're just complaining. So I think something has to be done. And, and Newfoundland and Canada is losing tens of thousands of jobs because they're anti-oil both federally and locally. Even, even, even fur Fury, he's really not for oil.
1: So what is the role of a federal government when it comes to uh, uh, dealing with uh, carbon emissions and um, addressing uh, climate change, which is happening? You, it's happening all around us. We're seeing it everywhere. Okay. Um, so what kind of approach um, should be taken? Well, here's the problem.
5: Uh, Trudeau got carbon tax. Carbon tax every, every month is a new carbon tax. People can't afford to live in Canada. They can't afford to buy a home because of the high interest rates. But the problem is uh, uh, with with the uh, oil, the oil is out there for not producing it. And and, and, and this carbon tax, I don't know. And Canada, Canada cannot fight. Uh, there's 195 countries in the world, I think. And Canada cannot fight uh, climate change on their own. And they're bringing oil in from other countries that's against carbon tax, against all these regulations, and selling it. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're saying one thing and doing another.
1: Yeah, uh, it certainly is, um, especially for people working in the industry. It's a it's a head scratcher as to the approach being taken. But um, I I don't know how to better do things, if you know what I'm saying. That's the question I'm asking is, you know, what kind of an approach can uh, uh, federal officials take? As you say, uh, you know, we're not going to fight climate change alone. Uh, We understand that. Um, What's that?
5: That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, so and making all these, uh, they're spending millions of dollars on on, uh, on subsidies for other sources of energy, and we got the best oil in the world on the cleanest here. They should be promoting the oil instead of fighting against it. That's that's what should be done.
1: See, so I appreciate your call this morning. We've got another call now on the same topic, so we'll see what they have to say. I appreciate you taking my call. All right. Thank you. Have a great day, Linda. All right. You too. Bye-bye. 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 We're going to go now to uh, Dennis O'Keefe. Hello. Have a great day, Linda. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. bye we are going to go now to uh,
11: Dennis O'Keefe. Hello. Hello, Linda. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. That's good. Beautiful day. Uh, it is. Well, it's good for compared to what we've had, hey?
1: What's on your mind?
11: What's on my mind? I just want to. I want to make three points. Uh, one, your caller just now on oil and gas. Yep. Yeah. Hit the nail right on the head. The big problem we have now in Newfoundland and Labrador is that we have a Liberal federal government led by Trudeau and Guibo, uh who's anti oil and gas. Uh, they'd kill it if they could, and maybe they will by. Delay, doing things that we're not aware of yet, but are just delaying and delaying until the oil companies say, eh, we can drill elsewhere, because they can. So that's the problem that we have. Our own provincial government is too complacent, as far as I'm concerned. They should be fighting this battle, like, why is it that BP, uh, S.O. are not going to drill all of a sudden? Why is it that they, the ignored? Uh, is delayed. What happened? They know. I'm sure they know. They should know. They are the government. And if they know, we should know. And what are they doing about it? Uh, are they negotiating with Equinor? Is it uh, a problem with the negotiations that resulted in the delay? Uh, those things we don't know. All we know is we're left in limbo, and we could lose Bay the Nord and be worse off for it and uh, you know we have a whole history of that but that's one point
1: I was going to say though Equinor's decision seems to have caught everybody by surprise not the least of which was (laughs) was the local representative of Equinor
11: well that's what they're saying and if you prefer to believe what they say uh, I take it with a grain of salt I don't know what's happening between the province and Equinor anytime you ask they'll say well you know we're negotiating we can't say we're uh I'd like to know just what happened. Did they not know this was coming down the track? Was this a negotiating ploy by Equinor in order to get a better deal out of out of uh, developing Beta Nord? We, we don't know. All I know is I don't hear anything about it anymore. It's like Beta Nord is in the past for a few years and then it'll be forgotten about. Uh what about the recent announcement about BP, uh, Exxon? What happened there? Uh, we had a company who got so fed up with Newfoundland and Labrador and the oil and gas a year and a half ago that they said to our provincial government, keep your $200 million, our 200000000 million. We're leaving because we can go elsewhere. We can get a return on our money because it's all about money. Get a return on our investment elsewhere. And you can keep the $200 payment we made in order to get drilling rights. got a uh, lot of money, Linda, to leave on the table.
1: Dennis, we're up to news time. Can I put you on hold? You can. All right, I'll put you on hold and we'll come straight back to you. And I won't keep you too long. All right. Okay. Uh, and we're up to news time now with uh, Brian Medore. Saturday
7: morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at
1: vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back, and we are going to go back to uh, Dennis O'Keefe in a moment, but uh, Larry Daly is on a tight schedule. Hello, Larry Daly. Hey, good morning. So, Larry, the uh, the news, not what anyone was hoping to hear yesterday. Uh, It must be affecting you in a very profound way as well.
12: Yes, uh, Linda, when we had the uh, presser from the U.S. Coast Guard yesterday afternoon, it certainly wasn't the news that I wanted to hear, and it's been, uh, you know, uh, really sad since uh, hearing that, uh, you know, was the loss of four adventure, or sorry, five adventurers in the submersible, including my
1: uh, good friend, P.H. Nargile. Tell us a little bit about P.H. Uh,
12: he, he was a great guy. He was, uh, you know, one of my uh, first Titanic uh, colleagues. I worked with him on the on the first expedition in 1998 out of St. John's, you know, he, we became really good friends. He'd mentored me over the years, you know, with his expertise and expeditions, uh, not only Titanic, but other other things related to the deep ocean. Uh, it was only a couple of weeks ago, we shared a Kitty video Iceberg beer, you know, together at a local restaurant and catching up on, uh, you know, in our lives and their uh, families and things like that. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, so sad now to know that he's no longer with us.
1: How do you, uh, somebody who knows, you know, one of the members of this crew so, you know, intimately? How do you come to terms with what's happened?
12: Uh, it's, I'm still processing all of this. Um, you know, uh, it's going to take me a while. I've been busy uh, being interviewed by international media, just sharing my experience with uh, diving that deep in uh, a Russian submersible. I had no affiliation with the company that is uh, involved here. Uh, I, you know, just speaking to me about you know the safety of deep submersible diving, you know, and uh, how long it's been on the go, and what would happen, you know, if I get in that situation. We had some uh, pre, you know, uh, briefing on what to do if uh, we had issues at the seafloor. Obviously, nothing like this. So uh, it's just something's going to take me a few days to to kind of to get uh, my head around it.
1: So you've had some experience, of course, uh, needless to say, you just outlined some of that. Uh, but what kind of atmosphere is down there? What are those pressures like?
12: Uh, when you're down two and a half miles, the pressure is intense. It's about uh, six or 7,000 PSI. So obviously the, uh, the craft that you're in has to sustain that the russian Mir submersible that i was in was actually certified you know by the russians not any agency but by themselves it was certified to around 24,000 feet so well beyond titanic depths. so it's uh you know it's it's just you have to have the right stuff and you have to know what you're doing and not saying that these uh this organization didn't it's just uh you know, it's it, it's just something that one I felt comfortable doing, I was in a sub that, you know, it was, it was old technology 20 years ago. My anniversary of a dive is this Sunday. Uh, it was used numerous times before that, the Russian subs Mir 1 and Mir 2. I felt uh, very comfortable, you know, uh, going to do this adventure. I was, you know, told about the risks. So, uh, you know, having worked with the Russians prior to that and seeing the, uh, you know, submersibles, uh, you know, being used and, you know, and maintained and so on like that. Uh, I was never uncomfortable doing this, and I hope people keep exploring, because we don't keep exploring, we don't find new things. So it's something that, you know, will uh, certainly uh, continue, um, you know, after this. Uh, it'll be a timeout for sure now, because, uh, you know, anyone goes out to that site, they're in uh, a U.S. jurisdiction in a way. So I guess things are going to get scrutinized uh, a lot more.
1: Well, that was my question what do you think this means for the future of uh a deep a deep sea exploration uh i don't know
12: for sure i can't like i can't speculate i just know that uh obviously you know people are going to take a hard look at this uh you know it is summer that you can go out and deploy a submersible pretty much on your uh, uh on your own and uh you know i guess you know uh, um it's just i uh, just i guess it'll be under the microscope and you know, as uh, my uh, friend and colleague Jim Cameron said, uh, you know, on CNN, uh, it's it's something that uh, <clears throat> you know. Obviously, uh, it wasn't. Uh, you know, I, I like I just so I don't want to say anything against the company, but you know, uh, it probably wasn't the right time to be doing this, and maybe you know, maybe this needed uh, you know to be developed more. Who knows? Uh, we don't know what happened. We don't know. If it was, uh, you know, a pressure breach and it imploded because of that, obviously, I, it, it, they're pretty sure it imploded because the debris is uh, is so, uh, you know, scattered. Um, they lost comms an hour and 45 minutes into the dive. I don't know if they got to the bottom. I know that sub could drop quicker than the mirrors. We took four hours to get to the bottom, so I don't know if they over, uh, <clears throat> you know, overdid it doing the dive. Um, There's just so much going on, Linda. It's just, like I said, it's hard to process. I just hope anyone that ever does this again really knows, you know, uh, what they're at with the equipment. And uh, it's tested, you know, uh, numerous times. Uh, Our holes were made of titanium. This was carbon fiber. So, I mean, I can't even get my head around that going that deep, right?
1: And and those are some of the main questions that are starting to be asked now. Larry Daly, I know you're in high demand these days, and I do appreciate you taking the time. And our deepest condolences to you on the loss of your friend, P.H. Nargiolet.
12: Yeah, thanks for that. And, uh, you know, he's going to be missed in the the Titanic community and, uh, you know, especially in France, where he's from. And all over the world, he uh, touched the hearts of many people. He was uh, a wonderful man. and I was upbeat. If I uh, ever got in that situation that I was in a sub and had trouble, I would want him in there with me. He's the Boy Scout of this stuff.
1: And that's what I, we were continuously hearing throughout. Uh, you know, they were in good hands uh, when it came to, uh, you know, the, the right company there. So very, very sad.
12: Yeah, yeah for sure. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Larry. Bye-bye. Uh, that's uh, Larry Daly with uh, Titanic Expedition mm-hmm. and Tours. He uh, uh, provided some of the logistics uh, there. And, of course, uh, a very good friend of P.H. Nargiolet, who lost his life. Uh, sorry about that, uh, Dennis O'Keefe. Lots of things happening these days. As you know, you're right in the middle of your conversation about <laughs> uh, offshore oil and, uh, and the federal government's approach. Uh, so, uh, sorry. Continue with your thoughts. Yeah.
11: Not a a problem, Linda, and I I sympathise with uh, Larry. (laughs) I know Larry very well and it's a real tragedy, there's no doubt about that, and we're we're certainly sorry here in Newfoundland, Labrador for the families involved. Uh, The carbon tax, uh, Linda, you know, it's been proven that the carbon tax is inefficient when it comes to doing anything about our changing climate. Uh, Our Emissions. Canada's emissions in terms of the global emissions is only 1.5% of the total global emissions. Yet the Trudeau government in another few days is going to put, and people who heat by furnace should work on this now over the next few days if they have any money left, another 17.5 cents on a litre of furnace oil and another three and a half cents on a litre of gasoline on top of everything else. And, of course, these are taxes on top of taxes. So our, our Liberal members of Parliament, with the exception of Ken MacDonald, uh, should really be ashamed of themselves, uh, federally and provincially, and our, our Liberal government and their NDP cohorts should be uh Ashamed of the burden that they're going to be putting on Canadians and Newfoundlanders and Labradorians in another week. It's really unfortunate, and it's a nice summer, and nobody's going to feel this 17.5 cents until October and November when we get into the cold again. And
1: I don't know if that's entirely true, though, Dennis, because... Um, it- arguably, everything that comes into this province has to come in by one of two means. And uh, these uh, increased taxes, that's going to somehow be downloaded onto consumers, is it not?
9: Sure it is. It's, it's going, going to, to add to
1: inflation.
11: inflation. Yep, oh, definitely. it uh, You know, uh, I just uh, witnessed a debate in the House of Commons uh, between, in the Senate between a Liberal and uh, a Conservative, I, I would imagine, and, uh, you know, it was pitiable the excuses the Liberal Senator was using to try and justify the burden that was going to be put on people in terms of inflated costs and uh, and even the burden of having to heat their homes come October and November. And uh, what he was doing was asking uh, the Senate to, uh, to ask the federal Liberal government to press pause and just leave this be for for a while it's it's a punitive tax that's what it is the other thing Linda I want to mention briefly and I'll ask you the question
9: I know you don't know the
11: answer cause I, and I don't know whatever is going on with the public utilities board the province asked the PUB to review their pricing mechanism exactly one year ago and we still have no report and from what I can gather There will be a report in the fall, and then it will go to the government, and we may or may not find out something by Christmas. So why is this, why why is it taking so long? When we set up the Petroleum Pricing Commission back in the early 2000s, and uh, the commission was established and put in place, centred in Grand Falls, George Sanders uh, was the head of the commission, and... uh, they had a formula in place pretty quickly, and it worked really, really well. Now we have a catastrophe in place in the way of a formula, and it's not working well. And we're a whole year into a study, and Minister Studley, I think, who's the minister responsible for uh, the PUB, it's about time that she came out and made a statement on it and tell us what's going on. A whole year, and we got another six months to go.
1: Uh, Dennis, you're asking a very good question. As you say, I'm not sure a lot of people have uh, the exact answers to that, but I do appreciate you bringing it up. And sorry for the sort of (laughs) delayed um, uh, in between the beginning of your call and the end. So I I appreciate that.
11: Don't worry about it, Linda. I'm delighted you gave me the time you gave me. And I hope when it comes voting time federally and provincially, people remember who's putting the burden on whom.
1: Thanks a lot, Dennis. Thanks, Linda. You take care of yourself. You too. Bye-bye. And we've had a really busy first hour or so of the program. The lines have loosened up somewhat, so now is your chance to give us a call. Here are the numbers to do so. And we're back on VOCM Open Line, and the lines are now open, so now is your opportunity to give us a call. We've been uh, dominating uh, what's been dominating discussion lately, of course, is this situation offshore there with the uh, the loss of the Titan, but uh, so many other issues uh, affecting Newfoundlanders and Labradorians on a daily basis, not the least of which is health care, of course. And there's been um, a, not a lot of talk about health care in recent days, uh, although it affects each and every one of us. And I see that the new NL Health Services um formerly Central Health, has announced a number of ER closures uh, across the province uh, this uh, weekend in particular. Uh, They affect uh, facilities like the AM Guy Memorial Health Center in uh, Buckins, the ER at the Bayvert Peninsula Health Center. We saw a rally there not too long ago about this kind of a a continuous problem that they've had there in staffing their ER on a regular basis. The Conagra Peninsula Health Center, again, there was a rally there not too long ago. Uh, The Dr. Y.K. Jean Kittywake Health Center in New West Valley um, and the uh, Fogo Island Health Center, all um, facilities that have been in the news in recent weeks, months, (laughs) a year or more uh, when it comes to access to the ER on a continual basis. We haven't heard a lot from Bonavista lately, and I know there was, uh, you know, repeated problems in that area as well. So I would welcome anyone who wants to uh, talk to us about that sort of situation. I know a lot of efforts have been made uh, from the provincial government's Perspective in attempting to um, hire or attract people from all over this globe, as a matter of fact, to bring them to rural areas in particular. There are a different set of challenges involved there, and maybe somebody wants to address what those challenges specifically to rural areas might be. Uh, Is it because if you are a uh, family physician in a rural area, you're also expected to do the occasional shift, uh, 24 hour shift in the ER, um, I don't know, I'm offering this up as speculation and questions that people might be able to answer for us. What are the problems? Have you had trouble accessing your ER services? And of course then Labrador is a whole other set of uh, uh, circumstances, isn't it? When you, in a lot of cases, you can't even get um, uh, ambulance service to get you to the island in a case of extreme emergency um, because of a variety of factors, uh, not the least of which is staffing, but also uh, when it comes to uh, weather windows and the like. So, uh, anything you want to uh, mention on uh, healthcare or anything else uh, to that vein, you're certainly welcome to do so. We've had this conversation now about oil and and gas and uh, the federal government's approach to uh, oil and gas uh, projects. And of course, here in Newfoundland and Labrador, a lot of people employed in oil and gas, whether it's in our own local. Uh, sector or it's in places like Alberta and that's having an impact here of course a lot of people doing that long commute and working and making good money uh, in the oil and gas industry and bringing it back home to Newfoundland and Labrador and raising their families in rural areas and keeping um, you know coastal communities alive in a lot of cases so if you have any thoughts on that as well you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Uh, Once again um, the line are open I'm going to take a uh, early break uh, in um, uh, to allow uh, Dave to uh, get a few lines set up but uh, if you want to give us a call now is your opportunity to do so.
0: Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin the cabin party with Brian O'Connell Saturday night starting at 7 p.m on VOCM.
1: And now that the uh, sun is finally out and we're experiencing more summer-like temperatures, uh, not blazing hot by any means, but uh, certainly you don't have to wear your big winter coat anymore. Uh, Have you noticed the sun, Dave? It looks very different, doesn't it? Very red? Uh, especially early in the morning or late at, uh, in the evening, and the, the sky is red and the clouds are red. I took a few pictures of it to, again today, really quite stark and amazing. And you know what that is, that is smoke. Uh, from the wildfires, not only in Quebec and other places that we've seen right across Canada. And we we were talking about climate change earlier, and this is, you know, one of the conversations, I suppose. But um, uh, not only across Newfoundland, uh, Quebec, and and other places in Canada, but also in Labrador West. And I see there's a real problem with smoke in Labrador West. We've been uh, giving you updates in the weather forecast uh, as of lately, in the last little while, actually, about uh, smoke in Labrador West. And um, I know Jordan Brown has been talking a lot about it, so I invite him to call the show. Uh, is uh, Brian Medor available to talk to me a little bit about the smoke in uh, Labrador West? Uh, we also have uh, Jerry Lynn Mackey, who's been on the scene in the uh, Harborfront area, Harborside Park in particular, that um, where all the foreign media are gathered uh, following this uh, very... Big international story regarding the uh, loss of the Titan. So uh, Jerry Lynn Mackey, we're hoping that uh, will um, be able to join us and talk to us a little bit about that whole situation. So Brian, the, the smoke—is uh, that what we're seeing with this this red sky and the and the and the red sun?
13: It is. Yes, uh, we had the uh, weather office on earlier this morning talking about that, and it's going to be with us actually for. Uh, pretty much into the weekend it'll be it was yesterday uh, today and again tomorrow and it pretty much permeates the entire province but it is fairly high so it doesn't really impact say your you know breathing ability uh, air quality where we are that kind of thing but uh, can re- impact visibility for example uh, and it can play a role yeah
1: I've noticed, uh, and I don't know if this is pollen from the trees because it's that time of year as well, but I've also noticed that there's this, um, this dust on everything.
13: Well, especially uh, if you mention Labrador West, it always seems to be worse there because of the mine dust, the uh, MHA for the area, Jordan Brown, I think it was about a month ago I interviewed him on that, and he said it was some of the worst situations he has seen for quite some time, uh, because they've had a lot of warm weather in Labrador the past couple of months, they've had many 20-degree days, a few 30-degree days in Upper Lake Melville, so it always seems to be worse there. I'm not sure just uh, the exact uh, amount of dust, say, in the city, Uh, what that could be. um, Not really sure, but, uh, you know, people will notice it for sure.
1: And uh, so they would get some of that respiratory problems in Labrador West where they're so much closer and there's fires burning in their region?
13: Oh, I think that's a real possibility, especially with the mine dust. Uh, I, there are no real controls in place for that. They do monitor it and they record it. But uh, according to uh, Jordan Brown, there nothing is done to actually reduce it uh, that he he's aware of anyhow.
1: Well, I really appreciate this, uh, Brian Medore. Uh, Thanks very much. No problem. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, I say, as if I'm hanging up the phone from him when I'm looking at him across uh, two hallways. (laughs) Anyway, um, uh, we are uh, following a number of stories, uh, including the uh, fires in Labrador West, and we're hoping to get an update on that. I think we're actually getting a call as we speak on uh, the fires in Labrador West and and the impact there. Um, Also, uh, VOCM's uh, Sarah uh, Strickland, I understand, is a little bit star struck today we're going to hear from her in a little while uh, but we're going to go now to the MHA for Labrador West Jordan Brown hi Jordan hello Linda we were just talking about the uh, smoke in Labrador West uh, tell us a little bit about it
7: oh yes yeah. so for last but three Four days now we've been uh, with the wind shifted, uh, so it's blowing you know towards the east. So we're getting a lot of the smoke and stuff from obviously those many fires over in our neighbor province Quebec now. And so probably over the last three days now it's been steadily getting uh, thicker and thicker and thicker. And this morning now um, I can't even see. Probably I can see across the street, but I can't see the woods and behind that building right now. It's it's that thick up here right now.
1: Wow. Explain to us how that differs from let's say for instance fog.
7: Well. <laughs> you know, is kind of like you know, is damp. It's wet. You know, like you you could feel it here. Yeah, the smoke is dry. Um, everything is very. It dries everything out. It kind of holds heat in. So the la- yesterday was probably the cold uh, was the hottest uh, June day we had on record uh, in Labrador. So it was well over 30 degrees. And so right now it's really hot. It's humid. It's, it's the the smoke is holding the heat in. You know, it's it dry, it's drying everything out. It's, uh, it's, uh, whatever fog is, it's almost the complete opposite of what fog does.
1: Yeah, for sure. And is it, is it hard to breathe? Do you feel it in your throat?
7: Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's really dry. It's itchy. Uh, for me, I know my, uh, my daughter, she, uh, uh, she has, uh, like, uh, breathing issues anyway. And she's finding, like she said, she's coughing a lot. She's finding that, so she's staying inside right now. Um, that, you know, if for people with respiratory issues, this, this is, you know, this is, are harmful for them because they you know it's 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 you know the air quality has diminished right so it's uh it's uh it's really you know it's concerning at the same time but at the same time like i said it's drying everything out it's uh, holding the heat in it's really uncomfortable it's really, you feel uncomfortable just even sitting outside right now
1: so it must be especially difficult for anybody who has to work in the outdoors
7: Oh, absolutely. So uh, I noticed something that uh, me and my wife were wondering about was actually when I was coming into the office today. Uh, we noticed that there's no birds flying around. And so usually like there's a lot of songbirds up here. There's a lot of activity that way. There's no birds really flying around. or nothing like that. So even they have seemed to take it into like a closer to the ground level kind of thing. So we're noticing that anyone outside or anyone today, you know um, – you know, it, and if you don't have to be outside, it's probably best not to go outside, um, and especially not doing any like uh, jogging or running or anything physical activity like that, or even working, because you know it it is harder to breathe. But at the same time, right now it's, uh, we're seeing that it's actually uh, you know the, the the smoke is actually getting you know thicker and more, and, and starting to come in uh, at a at a faster pace compared to yesterday or the day before.
1: Is it having an impact on uh, let's say mining operations that are you know primarily in the outdoors?
7: Yeah, as of right now, I haven't heard anything from the miners that they've uh, that there has impacted operations. Uh, most vehicles now um, in in the mining industry actually are what they call a sealed cab, which actually are designed to uh, which are pressurized, so designed to keep dust out. So most of the equipment now in the mining industry, with the standard is. Most of them are sealed, and so you, you, you wouldn't have, uh, you know, be physically outside. There is crews that would actually physically have to go outside, and I'm sure that uh, knowing the ex- intense safety standards of mining industry, they're probably uh, reduced at this time. But as of right now, I haven't heard anything otherwise that they're, this is causing impact on production.
1: School school is out now, of course, but uh, did it have an impact on uh, classes?
7: Uh, from my you know, the last day was yesterday, and and from what I understand, that, that it was only a half day yesterday. So this when the air the air quality effect came in. So by the time they were dismissed, it didn't really line up, right?
1: For sure. Uh, so any relief in sight?
7: Um, right now, like I said, uh, we were we're expecting rain, and that still hasn't come. Uh, yet so we're hoping now fingers crossed that we'll start seeing that rain that we were promised the other day to actually start to show up now uh but the only thing i think right now that could probably passively uh help this would be would be a good rainfall to actually get you know knock the uh, knock the dust out of the sky or the smoke out of the sky um so but right now like we're what we're experiencing here now is uh um similar to uh, what you the pictures and stuff you saw from like new york city and things like that it's just red it's like everything is like like an old western film everything is like a like an orangey red and i'm expecting you know something at high noon here by the by by the the out the, the the aesthetic that it looks outside but at the same time it's 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 concerning that you know that this is this is what's happening now and um in in my memory of you know my entire life living here in labrador um this is probably the first time i've seen it like smoke this thick and this prevalent from a forest fire and we've we've dealt with forest fires here Ever since I, I can remember, and even dealing with smoke coming from forest fires in Quebec, but nothing of this intensity. This is a this is the first,
1: for sure. Um, so, uh, what about wind direction? Is that going to go in your favor anytime soon? Push that smoke away.
7: Uh, right now, it doesn't seem to be. We're going to continue to be uh, getting air wind coming from you know from Quebec, blowing in across towards uh, towards uh, Happy Valley Goose Bay for a little for 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 the few, next few days for sure. But you know we we were hoping for some rain this morning. You know it never showed up. So you know we're going to put our order in again for some more rain. Uh, but the concerning part about it is is like um, it, the dryness. It's been it's been dry here for the last. I'd say week, week and a bit. And even with the rain we do get, because it's so dry, the ground absorbs it so fast that the forest dries out intensely fast around here right now. So we're in, a, we're in like a really heavy dry spell, and it's, uh, it's, it's bringing a lot of concern to the residents here.
1: I was going to say that's got to be deep concern, seeing what's going on right across the country.
7: Oh, absolutely. You know, and we we had a couple close calls. Now, you know, we had our railway shut down. We had our highway shut down uh, from the fires in Quebec, and then we had a forest fire in the neighboring uh, community of Vermont, which is only about three, or four kilometers across the border from us. They had a forest fire on one of their uh, one of their back roads. Uh, that you know, that that was uh, less than. I think it was three-point-something kilometres away from us. Uh, but uh, we managed to knock it down. And, you know, so it's just going to show that, you know, everything is encroaching closer and closer in the lab west right now where things, you know, and like I said, it was just dry. So my my, my biggest concern now is, you know, uh, are we ready or are we prepared? But at the same time, you know, we are got to let residents and stuff know if you're doing any activities out in the woods and stuff like that. You know, just be super cautious, you know. Watch your cigarette butts. Watch what you're doing. You know, if you're on quad, watch the muffler on your quad. Make sure you don't get any of that caribou moss uh lit up because we 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 haven't had any rain and we don't have any like you know large quantities of rain in the forecast right now
1: for sure. And uh, I just had someone send me some, um, they're beautiful pictures, hauntingly beautiful pictures with uh, by Tim Collins, uh, showing that big red orb in the sky and those beautiful, you know, contrasted against the shadow of those beautiful Labrador black pine, uh, um, black spruce, I should say. Um, it, it's, it, it's haunting to look at, but I can just appreciate what it must be like trying to uh, be active and, and moving around in that kind of smoke.
7: Oh, absolutely, and you know, if you don't have to be out, don't be out. Um, you know, uh, you know, try to avoid that kind of stuff right now because uh, it's, uh, you know, it's it's concerning. But at the same time, you know, you got to look at one, look after one's health right now because, uh, you know, uh, right now you I can look at the window. Usually, you know, people are walking by my office. You know, it's a beautiful day here in Lab West. You know, we only get a handful of them before we go back to forty below. But at the same time, you know, there's no birds flying around. There's no people walking around. Everyone's staying indoors. Even the even the wildlife.
1: Haunting. Um. Uh. uh uh, jordan brown we really appreciate your call and we uh, pray that you're going to get some relief soon in the form of rain and uh, some favorable winds i really appreciate oh. this
7: oh absolutely i got my order in for rain hopefully i'll get it so you take care now
1: fingers crossed thank you take care bye all right bye bye jordan brown they're <clears throat> talking about the smoke in labrador west um we're going to take a short break when we come back we're going to talk about the situation involving uh oil and gas in newfoundland and labrador this is uh open line and we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. And you may recall VOCM News uh, carried yesterday BP Canada abandoning work at the Ephesus well in offshore Newfoundland. All Newfoundland and Labrador, of course, broke the story earlier in the week and it's now been confirmed in documentation on the CNLOPB's website. Well, here to speak more about that is uh, local oil and gas industry analyst uh, Rob Strong. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. So, what does the meaning? What does this mean that BP Canada has abandoned its Ephesus exploration Will?
6: Uh, good question, Linda. the The key word here is abandoning rather than suspending. When an oil company drill starts to drill a well and decides to move away for technical reasons or other reasons, they suspend the operation, which means that they can re-enter. In this case, BP has announced and as published, as you rightly referred to it, as published to CNLOPB, and as as com reported, it's a banding, which means they're going to plug it and leave. So that's, a, to me, a very bad sign uh this was a reservoir the the ephesus reservoir was uh looked very positive from a seismic perspective and some people speculated somewhere within one and five billion barrels of potential recoverable and i say we potential because you don't know your drill but to my mind it's it's a it's not a good sign uh Whether or not BP will come back, because they have two other blocks of acreage, remains to be seen. But uh, no, I mean, and and the negative impact, Linda, is, you know, there's probably a crew of 110 people on that rig, and then there's 110 at home, so that's 220, and there's three supply boats and helicopters and mud companies and cement companies and so on. So it's also a significant loss of jobs. Whether these people can find other positions and other act- drilling activity, I don't know. But all, in, all in all, unlike Andrew Parsons, who, by the way, I have the utmost respect for. Andrew is a very approachable minister, and he he, he listens. But I don't I don't share his uh, quasi positive attitude that he expressed yesterday on one of your newscasts. So. Uh, She's gone by, she's gone, meaning the rig is leaving, going to Gulf go of Mexico. Will it ever return? Uh, who knows? BP has not been very vocal about it. They have not given any particular reason. Uh, they sputtered the well on, the, I think, the 8th of May. So I don't think they'd be at total depth. The, the reservoir or the anticipated or the hoped-for reservoir was at... Roughly thirty-three hundred meters, and I don't think, from the eighth of May to the twentieth of December or uh, twentieth of Jan of June, I don't think they would have reached total depth. So, why did they leave? Is the question. If it was technical issues, stuck in the hole or downhole problems, I would think they would have classed it as a suspension rather than abandonment. Whether or not they uh, actually feel that. Uh, uh, they if indeed they have a discovery would it get federal government approval whether that was a factor in in their decision decision, decision to move i don't know unfortunately as i say bp has not been very vocal in their uh, in their uh, reasoning for leaving uh oil companies are generally very, very quiet about what they find or what they don't find because there's adjoining acreage nearby and they don't want anybody else bidding on the surrounding lands. But again, as I say, it, it's, 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 it's not a good sign, put it that way.
1: Was it surprising to you? I mean, it was just a few short weeks ago at the Energy NL uh, conference that uh, BP was indicating, no, it was, uh, it was going to continue on with the drilling of this well, even though there were questions around the fact that it was in a, a marine protected area.
6: It was very surprising. I mean, uh, everybody thought they were drilling ahead. Uh, you know, we, we are, those of us that follow these things watch the Canada-Newfoundland offshore drilling report on a weekly basis, and it just says drilling ahead. I must say that in the past, and I'm going back a year or two, But when we looked at their drilling reports on the CNLOPB's website, it indicated how much, what what depth they were at. So you could calculate how much progress they were making. But these days, they just point out as saying drilling operations. So, yeah, it came as a surprise to me for sure. I don't know, you know, I'm not as close to it as some of the prime contractors, the mud companies and the cement companies and those that are involved in the actual drilling of the well. But, yeah, it was a surprise. Uh, but then, you know, Equinor, uh, Nord was a surprise. So I guess in the oil business, much like other businesses, there's always surprises. This, In this case, a disappointing surprise. Or in both cases, a disappointing surprise.
1: You say there's not a lot of information about why this uh, particular exploration well was abandoned, but uh, I see at least one headline suggesting it had something to do with uh, signs of failure.
6: I don't know. We don't know what what depth they. You know, we don't know how deep they were in the well. As I say, the the the, the projected or the thought about reservoir was about thirty three hundred meters, but we don't know where. Where they were when they when they when they decided to abandon. So I, that's pure speculation as far as I'm concerned. Unless of course somebody knows that they were uh, in the in in the reservoir or the potential reservoir zone and didn't find what they did find what the what they expected to find. But again, seismic should be a good indication. Seismic is not the be all end all because you you've got to drill it to find it. But uh, the seismic was very positive. The uh, the uh, province's seismic activity over the past number of years have identified a fair number of, uh, of of potential deposits or reservoirs. But again, as I say, we don't know where they were. And I don't know, as I say, I don't know whether or not the attitude in, in Ottawa was a factor, whether or not uh, uh, people in Ottawa are saying, well, we approved Bay and Nord, and that's it for offshore. Uh, I do know that BP is aggressively drilling other areas in the world, as are other companies. Uh, There seems to be a renewed activity and exploratory activity globally, because people are now realizing that we're not going to run out of oil. We're still going to need oil up until the 2040-2050 period. Maybe not for fossil fuel power generation in the combustion engine, but certainly oil is a as you would know, uh, important feedstock for the petrochemical industry. So we're going to need oil for sure. So unfortunately, it may not be our oil. Uh,
1: Rob Strong, I appreciate your perspective on this. Thanks.
6: Oh, you're most welcome. Anytime, Linda. Good to hear your voice. Already. Okay.
1: Bye-bye. Rob Strong there uh, with his thoughts on the uh, BP Canada uh, abandoning the Ephesus well, one that uh, there were, uh, you know, talk that this had the potential for uh, a billion barrels at uh, one stage or another, but uh, abandoned now, and that's having uh, impacts. Well, uh, one of the stories that we've been watching very closely, of course, as you all know, uh, has been this uh, search for the uh, Titan submersible. Now that we know its fate, uh, the story has changed dramatically, but one of the people, and this is a rare treat. Hello, Jerry Lynn well, Hello,
9: Linda Swain. You're doing a fantastic <laughs> job filling in for Patty this morning on well, Open Line. Well,
1: thank you. It's you Usually me coming in and helping you out a little bit in the mornings now you're coming in and helping me out with a bit of information and you were down on the waterfront and uh, you
9: know there's a lot of activity down there right now. Oh there certainly is there's uh, you know international media I'd say over a dozen set up down there now when I first got down there okay it was like Just after 5 a.m., you know, we start so early. Uh, There wasn't a lot of activity, but as the morning wore on, you know, it reached fever pitch by 9 o'clock when I was sort of packing up and leaving. And the funny thing about it was, I mean, everyone was really excited to see CNN's lead anchor, Anderson Cooper, reporting live. And I felt like when he went live, it was like Newfoundlanders woke up, saw St. John's Harbor made their way. You know what I mean? Everyone trickling in and out of Harborside Park. But there was a real sense of respect for what was going on there, of course, in light of the fact that this is a tragedy, something that I guess people here in Newfoundland and Labrador are more accustomed to than, I don't know, people who live inland, say.
1: You're absolutely right on that. And it's interesting, you know, some of the questions that are being asked in the international media. Uh, we here in Newfoundland and Labrador kind of say to ourselves, well, doesn't everybody know these things when it comes to the ocean? But a lot of people removed from that reality, if you will. So it is interesting to hear some of the questions and some of the answers that are being provided uh, to help, you know, uh uh, paint the picture of what happened there. And as uh, the VOCN Sarah Strickland is also on the line with us this morning. Uh, and I know we've been talking a lot about the international media. We've got the BBC here. You were talking to some reporters from uh, Germany. Welt
9: TV, that's right. Michael Vollenviba.
1: There you go. Easier for you to say than I. Um, And, of course, you know, everybody a little bit starstruck by Anderson Cooper being here. And so surreal to be. I was watching him last night. You know, he signed off around 1030 our time. And they had the little thing, St. John's 1028, you know, whatever it was. And I was like, yeah, it is 1028. That's so weird. Uh, You know, when you're seeing places you know, uh, reflected back at you through a television screen. It's it's a bit surreal. Mm -hmm. So to see him there signing off at 1030 and then back at it first thing this morning. And, uh, you know, there is that little bit of a star quality. Did you get a chance to meet him?
9: I did not. He was steady on the air under his spotlight, of course, for the entire morning. And, it, you know, he's under a lot of, pre- like, just watching that and understanding the logistics behind,
1: you know, live broadcasts and the like, you know, he's got a full team behind him. I understand that. But just going boom, guest, boom, guest, yeah. boom, guest, live guests, you know, face-to-face <laughs> guest, uh, back-to-the-studio guest, you know, just exactly. uh, wild. And
9: he's he's being, I guess, they're, they're bringing guests in via satellite or whatever, but he, he must be looking into his uh, camera. And then, of course, there's his script and then also his guest that he's able to communicate with them. But amazing that people kept their distance. You know, there was a very, very real sense of respect there. There was almost like an invisible perimeter that locals and some tourists as well were keeping because you can't lose sight of the fact that this just this was just such a tragic end. Absolutely. Um, Did you
1: get a sense from the reporters there that they're feeling it, uh, you know, like the the general populace is
9: feeling it? I mean, a lot of people there, because you sit down, you know, in between takes or in between live cuts, and you do chat with the other members of media. Definitely, people are feeling that sense of attachment to the story. And I think part of that was also the, the time sensitive aspect of it, where we were counting down the minutes thinking that the crew was still alive and banging, you know, trying to get help. Um, another thing that came up was people asking about the half hour in Newfoundland because there's always an added half hour. So there were some quirky things, and of course the the correspondent, the U.S. correspondent that I spoke with, who's a German reporter, he's based in Washington. He was. Uh, I heard him sign off before he spoke to me, and, and he he didn't pronounce Newfoundland correctly. So I sort of took him aside, and I said, "Now say it with me," <laughs> you know. And I tried to teach him how to say it. So hopefully that was some sort of. God- But you just get a sense that the people here are ready to serve and help in any way that we can. Absolutely. And I know they're they're providing a lot of uh, assistance uh, in that realm. And
1: when you think about it, you know, here in Newfoundland and Labrador, we uh, got to know a lot of these people on board that uh, submersible yes. uh, you know in a very intimate way in, in preparation for this and um, uh, they've been doing this for a couple of years now I think this is the third year that Ocean Gate was involved in in offshore dives to the Titanic wreck site so you know there's a lot of people in this province who know these people in an intimate level and we just spoke with Larry Daly who knew uh, P.H. Nargiolet a very closely they only had a, a beer together at right. kitty vitty brewery just a, a few short um, weeks ago so he's feeling that very profoundly a lot of people feeling this very profoundly um so um yeah it's uh, it's been a
9: a strange week hasn't it it certainly has and of course our hearts go out and our condolences go out to the family and friends of those who did lose their life and uh, Sarah Strickland has been waiting patiently on the line. I'm going to get her, uh, we're up to news time
1: now. Sarah, if you can hear me, and I know she can, uh, but she was down there and, um, you know, she's a young reporter. She's doing a great job, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she was uh, telling us in our, uh, in our chat last night that, uh, you know, Anderson Cooper is one of the people that inspired her to get involved in
9: um, journalism. And she had an opportunity to meet him. You know, she's better than I. She's better than I. <laughs> I was standing there right next to him. That's it. There's always a bigger fish. There's always an up and comer. You know, coming up. But he was very busy while I was down there reporting. Of the course, report. I did ask for a comment, but of course, uh, the people working alongside him said it has to go through the network. It's a whole yeah, thing. It's so, a whole thing. Yeah. And of course, he was on the air. So we'll, I, we'll find out from Sarah after
1: the news him, how she mm-hmm. managed to wrangle this, um, you know, rare occasion uh, in in the midst of what is a very, very somber um, situation. Um, we're going to go up to news time now with uh, Brian Mador But, uh, Jerry Lynn Mackey, thanks for this. A little bit out of your usual shift, right. but thank you. Yeah, I came back. came back to work <laughs> just for this. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and uh, we're going to go to uh, news time now with Brian Mador
0: Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.
1: Uh, We were speaking with uh, VOCM's Jerry Lynn Mackey just before the break, um, one of many reporters here uh, covering the story related to the Titan and the loss of the Titan, a very tragic end to that uh, particular search uh, over the last few days. And uh, among the reporters here also uh, watching and covering the story is uh, VOCM's Sarah Strickland, who joins us now. Hello, Sarah. Good morning Linda. So you've been down at the waterfront now a couple of times to get a sense of I suppose one what Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are feeling about this but two to also get a sort of sense of what um, of foreign media how they're working in, in here in Newfoundland and Labrador where we don't often see this uh, level of um, I guess um, international interest in in stories that are unfolding um, on our doorstep, so to speak. Uh, so uh, what, what's the um, what's the general sense that you're getting, you know, among uh, foreign uh, reporters there? Well, when I was down
14: there, you don't just hear English. You're hearing German. You're hearing French. You're hearing all these different accents and languages down there because they're all from different parts of the world reporting back to their home country. So it gives you a sense that how big this story is and how many people across the globe are watching this because they've sent reporters. That's a far away coming from, you know, Germany and over from England. You know, they sent people over here just to report on that. So that really shows you that this is a huge story and the people back home, they want to know what's going on. I know it's hard to report when, you know, the real story was happening off the shore of Newfoundland and Labrador, but this was the hub
1: and yeah, it just shows you how big the story was and how captivated people are. Absolutely, and St. John's, of course, uh, uh, is going to be the focus of attention uh, for the days to come, especially as the Polar Prince uh, makes her way back to home port.
14: Yeah, I believe she is expected to come back to port around 1.30 tomorrow morning. So we are keeping a close eye on that here at VOCM but especially the international media. Harborside Park has never been more full with cameras and media and a lot of people, not even just locals, uh, tourists as well. We're in the height of tourism season here in Newfoundland and Labrador. I was actually standing next to somebody while uh, Anderson Cooper was doing his live this morning. It was a couple from somewhere else in the country or internationally, and she said, we came all this way, paid all this money to go to Newfoundland and we're here watching CNN. She's like, we could have done that at home. And the husband was like, it's Anderson Cooper. We don't, we
1: can't see him at home. It is extraordinary. And I know uh, you have always uh, seen Anderson Cooper as a, a bit of a role model. Uh, did you ever, did you get a chance to at least uh, speak to him? I know he has a, a large group around him and, uh, you know, he's a busy man. He's got uh, uh, some very serious work to do. But did you get an opportunity to meet him?
14: All week I was saying, I was like, this is a big story. I was like, Anderson Cooper's going to show up because, you know, when something's big, something big is happening and the world's watching, CNN sends Anderson Cooper. So last night, as soon as I saw AC 360 come on and he's down at Harborside Park, I did go down. It was packed down there. Trying to get a parking spot, 1030 at night, downtown St. John's, is always easy. Not last night, couldn't get near the place. It was just blocked. People watching Anderson Cooper, so I decided, you know what, he's down there this morning. I don't know how long he's here. I'm going to go down and try to get a look. You know, just, I know this is serious, so, you know, I'm not trying to get all over and get a picture and all that, but I do want to say hello, shake his hand, and tell him, you know, for a young journalist, he did mean a lot to me. And I did after he finished up uh, the CNN morning show this morning, he finished his live hit. He came over, and he uh, started shaking hands with people, and he shook my hand. I actually have a copy of one of his books, and I handed it to him. I said, you know, you're the reason I became a journalist, and I really appreciate what you do, and I admire what you do. And he said, oh, my goodness, I've never—he was kind of taken aback by that. And he said, what's your name? I'll sign the book. And, you know, S-A-R-A, he he made sure he wanted to get that right. He shook my hand and he wrote in the book, "Keep doing what you're doing." And I, uh, I really appreciate that. It was, uh, it
1: meant a lot. I didn't ever think I'd meet Anderson Cooper, but uh, I have the man's signature to prove it. So an inspirational moment in what is, uh, has been a, a difficult story to cover in, in a variety of ways, not just uh, the fact that this is a, a bit emotionally draining, but also the fact that, you know, logistically and, and in terms of communications and the like, it, it's also very hard to collect that information. So, Sarah, a little bit of a bright light for you during all of this.
14: It is, and uh, Anderson Cooper did say because, you know, people were, Really started to swarm once they saw he was talking to people. You know, he said he usually does take photos with people and fans. But, you know, at this time, due to the circumstances, he was going to refrain from that, which totally everybody understands that this is a tragedy off the coast of Newfoundland. But he did shake everybody's hand. He had chats with people. I've got a bit of audio. I'm not sure what the quality is like. But uh, he's actually been to Newfoundland before. I did not know this. He's been to Gander. Uh, but this was his first time in St. John's, and he said he loves it. He said the people are very friendly. Uh,
1: yeah, and he, I, I get the sense that he would be back if he got the chance. Well, Sarah, I appreciate this uh, and a, a bit of a different perspective on this uh, very big international story. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you, Linda. Already. Bye bye. Uh, we are going to go now to Janelle's. She is a Ph.D. student uh, who's looking for a little bit of help. Hello, Janelle. Hi, how are you? Oh, good. So you're uh, doing some genetic research. Tell us a little bit about it.
15: So I'm actually not doing the genetic research myself, but I'm interested in genetic research so, I'll just give you a little bit of a backstory. So, here in Newfoundland and Labrador, we're obviously very familiar with using and developing natural resources. You know, fishing, forestry, mining, and oil and gas are all sectors that many Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have either worked in, have family working in, or, you know, we're just generally familiar with and we know about it. But interestingly, um, over the last couple of decades, a new kind of, you know, quote-unquote resource has come to be recognized in the province and that is genetic data. So I want to know if we can think about this new resource within the current frameworks and policies relating to resource development. Um, Yeah, so it's it's a bit of a weird and wonderful topic, but Newfoundland actually has a pretty unique genetic architecture, we're home to a founder population. So basically, in genetic research, this means there's value in doing the research here because it provides an opportunity to study variants that contribute to the risk and severity of certain diseases. And there's been a lot of work done on genetics in Newfoundland, but it hasn't always meant benefits for the province or an increase in the quality of care here. So again, what I want to do is to try and figure out whether concepts from other resource development sectors, you know, like impact benefit agreements in mining, might have a place in genetic research policies in Newfoundland and Labrador to possibly result in a benefit-sharing mechanism.
1: So when you talk about benefit-sharing, what do you mean specifically as related to uh, genetic research or genetic and, data collection?
15: And, you know, this is, this is the funny thing, right, because it's, it's so high level, it's so broad, and benefits mean so many different things to so many different people, right? So it's not strictly financial benefits. Um, a number of years ago, there was a there was a researcher, I believe, at Mon who, you know, done a quick calculation on the back of a, of a napkin. And he said, you know, basically, you know, if someone's giving their their blood sample, you know, to a pharma company, and there's a possible chance that downstream there might be something that's, you know, developed or you know, something commercial like that could be commercialized, every single person who gives their sample should be entitled to $50,000 US. And, you know, that's generally frowned upon, especially somewhere like Newfoundland or especially in Canada, where we think of healthcare as a as a public good, as a common good. It's not really something to be bought or sold or commercialized. So when you're thinking about benefits for something like this, it could just be simply, you know, better health outcomes, possibly access to new therapeutics or, or you know, um, or something that could be developed from the research. It's not Strictly a financial payment, although, you know, some people might say, yes, well, that's how I see it and that's how it should take out down the line. But, you know, it could be something like like reinvesting money from a company back into the provincial coffers that the government could distribute it to areas in the province where, where they might see, you know, the, the biggest financial need. So I'm I'm trying to stay very high level, very broad with this because I really want to get the input from residents in the province to see, you know, how do they think about these things?
1: Right, because there's some very serious questions uh, surrounding uh, the ethics of uh, DNA collection and, and and it being seen as a commodity, as you just uh, alluded to.
14: Yes,
15: and absolutely, and and I think that genetics makes this a little bit more uh, tricky because when you're studying genetics, you know, you're not just studying an individual. You know, you're you're receiving information about, you know, their siblings or their parents, their grandparents, their future children, possibly even their communities. So this is something that that's really tricky. And trying to think of, you know, genetic material like a resource really requires the input from citizens and residents because, you know, it is it it can be very, I guess, you know, um Tangly, And, you know, it can be, a, a, you know, people can get a little bit upset over these things sometimes.
1: So you have two focus groups coming up, too, and you want to recruit some participants for that. Tell us a little bit about that process.
15: Yes, absolutely. Um, so right now I'm recruiting for two focus groups I'm holding in July. So both of these are going to be virtual. I'm going to host them via WebEx. So anyone from anywhere in the province can take part. So the first one is July 7th around lunchtime from 12 to 1 p.m., so that's a Friday. And then the second one is July 15th from 1 to 2 p.m., so that's a Saturday. But I'm hoping to reach out now to see if anyone's interested because my enrollment closes next Friday on June 30th. So if there's anyone who's listening who might be interested, I can give my email address. Absolutely. so my email is janelle.speard at and you spell that J-A-N-E-L-L-E dot S-K-E-A-R-D at mon.ca. And if you are interested but you're not able to make either of the sessions, you can certainly send along an email submission. Uh, that would be fantastic. But, you know, email can never be absolutely secure, so I just ask that you certainly don't include any sort of personal health information if you're sending an email.
1: I really appreciate this, Janelle. Good luck with your uh, research and do keep us up to date.
15: Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. Take care.
1: Thank you, Janelle scared uh, at uh, mun.ca. Two focus groups. She's recruiting participants for July 7th and the 15th if you're interested in participating. Uh, we're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we'll get a little update on Navea's Lemonade Stand. This is VOCM Open Line. And we're going now to uh, John Denine on line four. Hello, John.
16: Good morning, Linda. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
16: Not too bad. Uh, First of all, I want to offer my condolences to the families, of the the four men that went missing on that uh, sub. That's the first thing I want to say, you know. Uh, Sad stuff. It is indeed. You know, and also... uh, also, want to offer my condolence to the family of Andrew Norse. Now, Dominion is one of our corporate sponsors. And he died tragically Sunday. I mean, he's done so much for the lemonade stand, it's unreal. You know, the sky was the limit with him when it came to the lemonade stand. Whatever we need, they'd find a way to get it for us, you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, the lemonade, the the, the reefer truck to put it into to keep it cold, keep the, the, the cupcakes cold and chocolates, you name it. You know, he'd phone up. I think he'd phone up. I stopped my daughter. He'd phone Saturday to make sure we needed any extra, anything we need. You know, just let him know and he'd find a way to get it. You know what I mean? So what happened? Uh, that was, uh, I think there was that car crash and, uh, out in Bay Rabbit's way the weekend. Oh,
1: no. Oh no! Terrible loss. Terrible, terrible loss.
16: Terrible loss. You know, I mean, it's, it's sad stuff. I mean, you know, but uh, I mean, Dominion is one of our corporate sponsors. I mean, you know, and and they've been with us from the get go. I mean, and, you know, God love them. I mean, you know, and and you know, it, it's hard. You know, but we want to offer sincere condolences to the family. And, you know, and I don't know what else to say. Uh, on that. You
1: know. So how but, uh, will this will affect not... uh, you know uh, your operations moving forward in lemonade stand?
16: Oh, we're going to move forward. I am pretty much sure, and I'm willing to bet, uh, you know, that uh, I'm sure Dominion is is going to step up, and, and and I would think in his in his memory, I would think that they'll, you know, I'm pretty sure that, that they'll, uh, you know, i uh, he was, apparently he was with Dominion for a long time and type of thing, you know, that kind of way. You know, so I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure they will do well, you know.
1: Well, John, uh, I, I'm glad you called this morning. I'm so sorry to hear that, the, you know, that's, uh, you know, I heard about that terrible accident. And, you know, every yeah. time <laughs> we hear about these things in Newfoundland and Labrador, oh, my goodness gracious, we feel it all very, very uh, profoundly. And I'm sorry it's it's impacting you, you in know, that way.
16: That's what I was told what happened now. And, I, you know, for sure, I'm pretty sure it is, you know. But I also want to thank, uh, uh, WestJet. I mean WestJet they give us uh, two free tickets every year to fly anywhere WestJet flies. I mean D F Burns gave us five thousand dollars donation. Uh P P G Paints gave us a barbecue, I mean and TV. I mean V O C M has been every time I phone they get me on the radio and have a little chat and just try to promote our cause, you know. And then saying that, you know, like Stephanie O'Brien, another one. I mean, you I mean, you know, without Stephanie O'Brien, where we'd be, <laughs> you know, she's been so good to us since, I mean, the first time I met Stephanie O'Brien, I know her dad for years, but I mean, you know, first time I met her was at a fundraiser at 400 AM, and we've been friends ever since. The whole family has been really friends with her, you know what I mean? And all the girls and all the guys, all of our committee members, I mean, we wouldn't be able to do it without them. I mean, just being possible, you know. But uh, we got to figure it right now, we raised... Roughly about forty-four thousand uh, dollars. There's still some money coming in, so I'm I'm hoping, and I think that we're going to hit the fifty thousand on America. That's that'd be a nice goal to have, you know.
1: Oh, indeed, that's amazing. It's it's simply amazing. So you get an awful lot, obviously, of of community support.
16: Yeah, well, Paradise, the the, the town of Paradise, and uh, their their double ice complex and the employees there, and then the guys and girls are working in the the, the arena there. I mean, they. Bent over backwards, whatever they done. Zam, unreal how how much they helped us out. I mean, like you know, did we need anything? They were there. I mean, I see. I mean, I, with, with this fundraiser we do, we get help from so many, so many people. And and the thing is, at, at the end of the day, the people that are coming and making these donations, without them, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be so successful as it is. You know what I'm saying? You know. And it's in as in, memories, uh, as in memory, it's in Nevaeh's memory legacy. And the things with that is, I mean, all money uh, that comes in there goes to families with kids with pediatric cancer. I mean, until you have a sick child and you don't know which way to turn around, I mean, the least of your worries is paying your bills. So, I mean, that, that $5,000 that we give to families, that, that can go a long ways. You know, because uh, I know, because we went through it. That go a long way to help pay a mortgage or buy some gas, maybe get a hotel for a night or get a a decent meal. Because I mean, like I said, I remember one year, one of the, one of the years, my daughter was down at the hospital. In one year alone, she spent 282 days in that hospital with my granddaughter.
1: Yeah, because, uh, yeah. you know, at that time you've got so many more important things yeah. to be uh, worried about than to have to worry about, you know, paying off your mortgage or your car payment.
16: Yeah, 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 that's yeah, yeah, right. I mean, uh, your life turns upside down in a matter of minutes when, when when you get that news. I mean, you know, I mean, it's hard, like I lost my parents years ago. I mean, that's hard, but I'm going to tell you, when it comes to kids, it's just a whole new a ball game altogether, I suppose you could. I don't know.
1: <laughs> you know. Absolutely. And Neve is such a such an incredible inspiration to so many people.
16: Yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody talks about her still, and I mean, you know, we, you know, it's going to be five years now, not a few weeks, or not a month. You know, I mean, she's going to be gone. You know, but you know, we're going to try to keep honoring her. Add on her uh, her legacy, and we're gonna tr- keep trying helping people. That's what we're about. I mean, we're a registered charity now. I mean, every 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 dollar comes in goes towards that. I mean, there's no one. Uh, uh, we don't have anybody that makes any money off of this. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no, there's no like president or something like that I suppose you call it, or higher ups that that we do this. We do this for, for, because we want to do it, and we love to do it, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we look forward to it. I mean, we lost a couple of years with COVID and stuff, and, and, and you know, and I, I guess at one point you, you get kind of worried, like, is this stuff going to be over with, and are we going to be able to pull this off again? But, I mean, I got to say it. I mean, the crowd was there the weekend at that Paradise Ice Complex. It was amazing. I mean, the car show went over really well. You know, we had uh, goats there and a, a llama there and, and dogs, and we had it all there, you know. And the kids, i got to say it, I mean, it's like I said, it's a kids' event. So, I mean, all the kids had a ball there, you know.
1: Well, John Denine, I really appreciate your call this morning. Uh, God bless you all for the work that you do, um, and so sorry for your loss. Thank you.
16: Thank you, Jim, so much for, for helping us out. And let us get on there and have a chat about it every now and then, and have a good
1: day. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Uh, John Denine with uh, Nevea's Lemonade Stand. Uh, he, of course, the uh, grandfather of little uh, Nevea Denine. And uh, what an inspiration she proved to be to to the entire province. And, and her legacy continues today. Uh, can you imagine five years? already uh since she passed away what an inspiration uh, she still is to this day uh anyway if anyway you want to support the nevaeh's lemonade stand please do it goes the money collected there goes to a very worthwhile cause and that's to help out families uh who are dealing with uh, pediatric cancer so um uh, good on all of the people involved in that we're up to news time with oh sorry um, um dave is telling me to go to this call before news time hello joe hello hi joe uh,
17: can you hear me yeah,
1: i can what's up
17: okay great well I'm, I'm just sitting in cape royal having a cup of cape coffee it's a wonderful brood here it's a, a, a baked here roasted here but anyways i wanted to mention i was in the uh, health sciences center on wednesday and um the signs went up saying tim hortons no longer sells uh donuts or timbits Now i don't know how much he covered it because i wasn't near a radio uh the last couple of days but um And this is with the uh, Eastern Health uh, Center um, Healthy Eating Committee. So they have decided that Tim Hortons donuts and Timbits are unhealthy. So I have a couple of questions. First of all, I wonder, does that mean that those of us who have been eating them or who eat them at other stores can have a class action suit? If Tim Hortons agrees that their donuts and Timbits are unhealthy, uh, why why are they allowed to sell unhealthy food anywhere? And have they been doing it knowingly? And um, my uh, second question is: Do do the Eastern Health really think that their donuts and Timbits are less healthy than their muffins?
1: Uh, good questions all, Joe. I know that this uh, topic has come up before, as a matter of fact, with uh, uh, the Tim Hortons um, operation uh, operated in the Health Sciences Centre, and they wanted to move them towards a healthier type of menu, if you know what I'm saying. I suppose yeah. uh, donuts and Timbits have sugar and uh, fat because of the way they're made and all those kinds of things. Uh, so from a general standpoint, uh, that would be seen as not the healthiest choice uh, in a healthcare care set if you know what i'm saying uh everything in moderation like everybody says but uh it has come up before so it doesn't surprise me that that's the situation now
17: but i have another question about that who actually eats the um the donuts and timbits is it patients who are on restricted diets or is it visitors an awful lot of nurses i see walking by with boxes of, of, of timbits bringing up to their stations uh and uh if it was patients, then I could see, no, they want to control what food the patients get who are on strict diets.
1: Good questions okay. all, Joe. Uh, let's uh, let's put it out there uh, one, to the ether as you have and see what other people have to say about it.
17: One more question. Yeah. I've been told by a Tim Horton's employee there that it was because they're fried. Does that mean fish and chips is off the menu? And if so, is Eastern Health trying to tell Uh, a whole uh, nation of people, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, too, um, that their traditional foods are unhealthy. And if so, why don't they ban them? Anyways, I'll stop there.
1: Joe, thank you.
17: You're welcome.
1: All right. Bye-bye. Have a good one. You too. Have a good
17: vacation.
0: Bye.
1: Bye. And uh, we're overdue for the news with Brian Medore.
0: Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM.
1: Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. About uh, 20 or so minutes left of the show. Now is your opportunity to give us a call. We're going to go now to Ernest. You're on the air.
18: Hello. Hello. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm on this side of the sod. That's a good thing. Listen, uh, the paddle man here. Oh, hi. Hi. Uh, And what what I am calling is concerning the roads, of course uh the department, highways they're not doing very, very much uh, filling up the paddles here, and I don't really know what the reason is. And with all the people, the tourists coming from wherever, going to 20 Gate, and it's a shame from me driving over the roads that they do have the drive over.
1: So what's and the road I to I the aisles like now? Time? Sorry? What's the road to the aisles like now?
18: They're not worth. Dry. I wouldn't advise anybody to come over them because they're, they're that bad, right? Now I haven't I haven't done it a year because I haven't been filming up to it. One year I used 111 cans of spray paint from Long Point in 20 Gate right to Notre Dame Junction and all the communities in between, and from from Stoneville to the ferry wharf and even so much in Gander. So I'm not feeling up though. and besides, the price has gone that I, I can't afford to be buying it. Right?
1: Wow. Uh, but uh, no great improvements since you brought that to everybody's attention there a couple of years ago.
18: Oh, that back about four years ago, they did. There was a lot of pavement done after that, but lately it's not. And like I said, the roads are very, very bad, uh, like three forty, and even going to Gander that way. But they are going to do seven kilometers. The other side of george's point where that bad road is i got confirmation that they are going to do that because i've been after the uh the mha and uh did over the department of Highways concerning that stuff because i'm a, i'm a citizen and i'm very concerned about uh the road conditions especially the bikers because i'm a biker myself right
1: and, of course, uh, Twillingate, a hugely popular tourist destination in the summer months uh, and throughout the course of the year, but especially now with the icebergs on the go and throughout the summer. Um, uh, what do you suppose is the issue there? I've traveled that road many, many times myself. It, you know, does, does it, you know, we keep putting down these layers of pavement, but does something else need to be done with that road to prevent the potholes from developing?
9: No, only
18: they would because uh, there's always... There's old- one particular place, there there was three holes there, and they stopped and they filled up one, and the the, the others were not three feet apart. Why well, filled up one, not the three of them? You know, you were stopped there with the bags of ash oil or whatever, right?
1: Right, and that's just uh, that just that's just the cold patch you're talking about, is it?
18: That's right. If they do that for now, just to just to get get by, and then when they could get the uh, proper mix. Well, then they could go over it again, right?
1: Right. Um, but do you think some more extensive work needs to be done there? I mean, I've traveled that road, as I said, many, many times, and I've noticed that, you know, the the, the potholes are are at, you know, evenly spaced intervals. So it's it's almost something like a, what was built into the roadbed, if you know what I'm saying.
18: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they want to, and the not what they're using now is not, not like it used to be. And now with all those icebergs on the go, uh, there is, oh, uh, swarms of tourists on the go, uh, going to 20-gate, right? It's purpose to see those icebergs.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, more needs to be done. Have you had a conversation with the new um, Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure, John Abbott?
18: Yes, I I have. Uh, And I've been talking to the MHA for our district. And uh, yeah, different people I've been talking to uh, like I said, I'm very concerned about the uh, people driving on the roads
1: very good, Ernest so how are you feeling yourself?
18: Well, I'm not so well because uh whatever is happening now, when I've been over, I get dizzy, and I don't want you out uh, spraying paddles in that situation.
1: no, for sure,
18: no, I don't want that but i I want to be let it known that people. Because once you see one pothole is fainted with orange paint, if you go down, that one is fine. But the second one, you don't blame on the paddle man because you should have got your learning from the first one, right?
1: <laughs> For sure. Uh, Ernest, will you take care? I'm glad you're raising this issue again because it's an important one. It affects all of us right across Newfoundland and Labrador. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. You have a good day. I, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ernest ba- uh, Barnes there, the pothole man. And you recall he was going around on the road to the Isles and beyond, he, as he said, um, spraying the potholes. Went through 110 cans of spray paint. Just imagine now. Just letting people know that they're there because he's a, a motorcycle driver and he knows the perils of trying to navigate around those things. If you hit one, it's not good. Uh, anyway if you have any thoughts on uh, the condition of our roads by all means do give us a call we're into the last 15 minutes of the show now is your chance to do so here are the numbers So as you know, the RNC has been making, uh, doing this crackdown on uh, graffiti, especially in the downtown area of St. John's. It's really uh, getting a little bit out of control. Uh, And, um, you know, for years and years and years, it seemed as though um, graffiti, people who were tagging things and that sort of thing, would do so on, you know, uh, public structures, you know, whether it be... uh, uh, bridges or you know retaining walls those kinds of things kind of uh, public spaces but now it seems like um, some people who do that are, are you know targeting private property businesses houses fences people's fences you know that's costs an unbelievable amount of money to fix and clean up. And it just is a, a scourge, I guess, uh, to the eye. Uh, this is not our, a lot of this doesn't have any real artistic merit. It's just tagging or obscenities or whatever. I noticed a, a sign the other day, a business sign the other day with a, you know, a bunch of, uh, phalluses all over it. You know, nobody wants to see that stuff. What are we, a bunch of youngsters? Anyway, um, so, uh, There's been a recent arrest, and this one is interesting, a 29-year-old from British Columbia arrested after police received uh, uh, reports of uh, somebody um, spraying graffiti in the downtown area of St. John's at 3.20 in the morning. Uh, so uh, coming down from British Columbia, almost 30 years old, and uh, spray painting the downtown. I don't know. It remains to be seen. Anyway, how what your th- thoughts on that are, give us a call. We're going to go now to uh, Joey. <laughs> You're on the air.
19: Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey. Good morning, uh, Linda. I just wanted to call in quickly, chime in uh, regarding this fence that's going up in front of the stage on George Street. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, and the opinion of many other uh, people that I know have spoke to, who are you know for affordable housing, things like this, um, it seems to just be another move against the poor basically um basically i see it and a lot of other people are seeing it as an ongoing war on the poor um it's just rings of class war and i think that's been going on a long time in newfoundland labrador and uh yeah it's just another example of us kind of some people not really getting the, the real info making assumptions judgments about people that they see uh collecting money in medians sleeping outdoors uh you know i've had some of these experiences myself and it's not a uh, holiday it's no summer camp and so i just really feel for these people that are now going to have to find somewhere else where they will, I'm sure, get kicked out of again. It's just a cycle when you're in that sort of mode of living. And I just wanted to call it class war because I truly believe that's what it is.
1: Well, uh, you know, a public stage um, is not a solution for homelessness or getting people out of the elements. It's not the solution. Um, No, I don't don't um, believe so either. I can can see where a uh, municipality or a government or a business owner or whatever the case may be, uh, that, that a structure is, that is purpose-built for a particular purpose is being used in a different way, why there would be concerns there? Because if somebody was to meet harm, let's say, for instance, or um, uh, on that property, that becomes a big issue, and who's responsible? if you know what I mean. So I can understand why uh, things like preventing people from accessing that uh, would be, uh, you know, one uh, mode of action, but it's not a solution. Uh, And you're right. You're speaking to a bigger issue here. The bigger issue being is where can we get better solutions for people who are experiencing homelessness?
19: I know. And you know, one other thing, Linda, is that when you're kind of, the best that I could say, the best way I could describe it is that these people are, they've got their back against the wall. It's not only, not only that they've got no where to go for the, you know, the rainy night, whatever whatever night, uh, many of them are dealing with major deaths, legal troubles, addictions. And so this just compounds the sort of duty on somebody and the amount of effort someone's got to put into just better their situation and it's unfortunately it's just a lot of times it comes down to okay where am i spending tonight i've been all day doing things i need to do now it's dark it's starting to rain where do i go and i think we're we're going to see a lot of conversations coming up if this trend continues uh just like it often happens in many other uh municipalities where this sort of government intervention band-aid stuff happens we're going to see conversations around squatting, squatters' rights. We're going to see people occupying buildings that are empty. Um, I mean, we had a man-dive exposure last winter. That shouldn't happen in St. John's, especially with all these empty properties. Uh, I know about zoning, but surely there's got to be something. I know there's emergency shelters. There doesn't seem to be enough. I mean... I see people sleeping in tents and fields and...
1: And emergency and shelters the aren't the, they, the ultimate, uh, respo- you know, answer either. I mean, they, they need to be there. Of course, they need to be there for people who are in, uh, you know, a, a difficult situation here and now. But in the long run, we need better access to, like, as you say, affordable housing, uh, places where people can live permanently and be comfortable.
19: Yeah, for sure. People, uh, people are angry. People are angry and... Increasingly so, I think. So and what's happened it, in
1: recent years then? Because we've seen this pro- problem becoming more and more apparent. What's what's going on?
19: I think it has something to do with, I mean, I can only speak to my situation. I, I and those I've seen around me, it just seems to me that I don't want to blame everything on COVID, but COVID did have an impact. Um, that was kind of a do or die time for a lot of people. Um there were mental stresses. A lot of people did turn to substances to try to just cope and get through this very strange time, uh, myself included. Uh, I'm out of that now, thankfully, but I know that many, many people are not. Uh, That was a major setback for a lot of people. And if somebody wasn't lucky enough to kind of not be living paycheck to paycheck, I mean, I don't know. I don't know people's situations. I, I can't speak to people's situations, but I mean, something has happened. It really seems like something has happened. And in meanwhile, the price of everything is going up. I don't think a lot of people have faith for a future. And the people that once did are finding it harder to plan for the future. And it's it's just a scary time to be alive. And so I guess it just strikes me when I see things like this. Um, I could imagine myself... And, even family members that I previously would have relied on um, one bad check, one bad paycheck away from the street. So I don't want to other these people. I mean, I, I see it in myself. I see how somebody could get there and I just don't want that to be how that's dealt with. Cause it's just going to get worse. <sighs>
1: Uh, Joey, I'm I, I, uh, so glad you called this morning to give us this uh, this perspective. And it, it, uh, you, you know, you, you're speaking to a lot of uh, issues here, and um, obviously this problem is multi layered. Uh, but how does it get a, uh, addressed? And ultimately, uh, the responsibility is on the provincial government. They're the ones that supply, supply the services and uh, and address these matters. And do you think they're doing an adequate enough job?
19: No, absolutely not. I, I, I think that the, I think that at least the people. I mean, this municipal government was the ones that decided on this fence. But I mean, the provincial government. All these people need to, uh, they need to take a ride on the subway, like like Winston Churchill did, or something like this. You know what I mean? They they need to take a walk around. I don't know what they need to do. I I really don't know because I can't judge how different their life is from mine. But I just I have a feeling it's not. The same, and I feel like there's some sort of loss of perspective on the part of a lot of these people that make these decisions that actually harm, in the end, uh, those citizens that don't don't deserve to be harmed. I mean, nobody deserves to be harmed, but yeah, just I don't know. Some compassion would be nice as, as a start, you know, or some recognition, you know, um, less blame, because uh, policies like this should further. You know, create guilt, shame, all these things. But yeah, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of levels at work here, personal, political, a lot going on. But at the end of the day, people are suffering out on the streets. That's pretty dangerous living on the street. There's all kinds of statistics. You know, you, you can read those. But mental health, how it makes it worse, more likely to end up in the legal system. That's not a place anybody wants to be.
1: Especially in a climate like ours, like you say now.
19: Yeah, exactly. So I I just want some hope. I I want some hope. And I I I I came back to Newfoundland from living away for a number of years, a couple years ago. And it I started just slowly losing hope, and it's just I'm trying to get my positive attitude back. But just little by little, I see things like this, and I remember what it was like before I left ten years ago, and I would see stories that just rubbed me like this it was just it just seems like the same old thing and i'm just disappointed in our province
1: joey I, I really appreciate your call this morning thank you very much all the best to you
19: all the best linda thank you all very much
1: okay
20: take care bye-bye Bye now.
1: um we're gonna go now to billy hello Billy. bill hi hey how are you i'm good that's good what's up
20: Okay, uh, no, um, I'm a part of the organization, or the organizational committee for the Friends of Jackie uh, concert, uh, food bank concert that we have at Bartlett's Point Park. This is our second annual, and with the rain on Sunday, we decided to Decided to move it from Bartlett's Point Park to Margaret Bullwater Park. And we just wanted to get that out there. Everything else is, is the same as Sunday the 25th from 2 to 4. It's just that it won't be at Bartlett's Point. It will be at Margaret Bullwater. And if you, I just wanted to get that out there for the uh, for the people to know.
1: In Corner Brook? Yes. And the Friends of Jackie, what do you guys do?
20: Well, it's uh, Jackie was, uh, was is my wife. She passed away two years ago. So we put a... a a, a seat in the park down there, and we didn't want an unveiling because that's not her. So my sister decided, like, we, we're part of a singing group, the Griffin and Friends. So we said, well, why don't we do a, a concert in the park, uh, have ask for food donations, and like make a positive out of the negative. And it went over really well last year. Enough that we decided to do it again just that this year Mother Nature is going to try and take a bite out of it, but we're going to fix that.
1: Absolutely. Bill Griffin, I really appreciate your time this morning. So uh, once again, the uh, Friends of Jackie Food Drive that is scheduled for this Sunday, the second annual Friends of Jackie Food Drive concert, has been moved from Bartlett's Point Park in Corner Brook to Margaret Bow Water Park because of the uh, rain that's in the forecast. Uh, All the best with uh, with that, uh, 2 to 4 this Sunday.
20: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Bill. All the best.
20: You too. Okay,
1: bye-bye. Bill Griffin there, and he'll have the last word on VOCM Open Line today. Thanks, everyone, for your contributions to the show. I'm off now on vacation for two weeks. We'll talk to you then. In the meantime, uh, uh, Brian Callahan is going to be doing um, news talk this afternoon for me, and I appreciate that as well. So uh, do take care. Uh, Have a good weekend and stay safe.